Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the dave ellswick show podcast is sponsored by the juris law group we provide estate planning for all ages and we specialize in helping seniors get va and medicaid benefits for in-home assisted living and nursing home care for a no-risk consultation call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com that's j-u-r-i-s-t lawgroup.com and we are on the Dave Ellswick show. Obviously, I'm not Dave Ellswick. I am Val Emmons. Uh, Dave is celebrating his birthday today. And you know, Zach, in, in light of his birthday, I decided I was going to bring me some Dairy Queen to work today. <laughs> I ate Dairy Queen before the show. Man, it's like 73 degrees outside. It's almost like spring. Have you, have you, I mean, have you been out or you been in here all day? Yeah, I've been out. It's so nice outside. Mm-hmm. And then it's supposed to get cold again. Yeah. I think Mother Nature, again, needs a Prozac. It's just Arkansas. She needs a Prozac. <laughs> I would put that bill. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to wear. It's like you go out, you start out the day, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice that you go out. And then, you, and then by like 6 o'clock, by the time you're ready, you know, you gotta if you got to go to an event or something, you're freezing. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, you know, don't bundle up. Yeah. So um, by now, I know everyone is aware of what happened yesterday. Um, in Florida with this um, gunman opening fire with the AR-15 at a large high school in South Florida. The 17 dead included students and school workers, young and old. Um, the AP has put together this wonderful piece, and I'm going to read it to y'all because uh, it gives you a little bit of background on some of the people that um, are no longer with us from that school shooting. Um, I guess what you call it, a Valentine's Day massacre. Because they're saying that, you know, his breakup with his girlfriend didn't help matters much. And we're going to get into all this. But now, apparently, this white supremacist, the leader of the white supremacist um, group in Florida, is uh, they're saying that he was training with them. So I don't know how that um, is all going to pan out. And, you know, everyone right now, a lot of the things right now are just speculation. yet oh that's mine i'm sorry <laughs> i was hearing something it was my computer i needed to turn uh my volume down on my computer i thought that we were offline <laughs> my bad i'm sorry folks i'm trying to get it together there we go Is it gone now okay sorry about that um anyway so i wanted to read through some of the people that actually perished Yesterday, I'm probably not going to mention the shooter's name uh, simply because I don't I don't condone talking about this when it happens because that's why people do it. And apparently he had told the leader of the white nationalist, not supremacist, nationalist, I'm sorry, that was misleading information on my part, um, the white nationalist group that he wanted to be a career school shooter. So I'm not going to give him the benefit of that doubt. Uh, 
or I mean, I mean, the benefit of saying his name on the air. I know a lot of places are putting that out there, but I'm not going to do it. Um, what I am going to do is I'm going to read to you some of the folks that lost their lives, starting with the coach and the security monitor. The high school football program tweeted that assistant coach Aaron Fies died while selflessly shielding students. The tweet ended, he died a hero and he will forever be in our hearts and memories. Uh, Fies graduated from the school in 1999 and worked mainly with the junior varsity. The team website said it, it said that he lived in nearby Coral Springs with his wife and daughter. At a Thursday, uh, today's news conference in Broward County, Sheriff Scott Israel said his two sons played for Fies. When Aaron Fies died, when he was killed tragically, he did it protecting others because that's who Aaron Fies was, the sheriff said. The team website said Fies spent his entire coaching career at Marjorie Stoneman after playing uh, there as a student. The Sun Sentinel reported that Fies, acting as a school security guard, responded to the original call on a school walkie-talkie. Someone on the radio asked if loud sounds uh, they heard were firecrackers, said the football coach, Willis May, who also carries the radio. I heard Aaron say, no, that it's not firecrackers. That is the last I heard of him, May said. Fies online biography at the team website says he plays center at the school from 1995 to 1998 and worked with the junior varsity varsity lineman. He also served as the college recruiting coordinator and worked with football operations. He was a great guy, sophomore Douglas lineman Cage Gaynor told the newspaper. Everyone loved him. It's a shame he had to go like this. Always gave his all to making us better, and he definitely learned a lot from him. That's sad. Athletic director. A married father of two and the athletic director at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Chris Hickson wasn't shy about jumping in wherever he was needed, said a friend and one-time colleague, Diane Sanzari. Hickson was a member of the Roman Catholic Church in Hollywood. The Archdiocese of Miami confirmed his death Thursday. When a volleyball team needed to fill in coach, Hickson took over. The same thing happened with the wrestling team. And when the school needed someone to patrol the campus and monitor threats as security specialists, Hickson did that too. While he was a security monitor, he did the very best he could to also serve in the athletic uh, administration role. It was in the security role that Hickson apparently came within range of the shooter. Sanzari, a retired athletic director, said she was stunned when she heard Hickson had been shot, then cried inconsolably when she found out he had been killed. He loved his family. He loved his job. Chris was just amazing. Meadow Pollock's parents called her phone repeatedly, only to hear it ring. As they kept an anxious vigil outside the hospital. But today, her father, Andrew Pollock, confirmed that his daughter was among the dead. That was reported in the Palm Beach Post uh, today. 18-year-old Pollock, a senior, had planned to attend Lynn University. Her father, Andrew Pollock, said showing the newspaper a photo of their daughter wearing a dark strapless dress. Her life was taken way too soon, and I have no words to describe how this feels. Um, family friend Adam Shottle said in a Facebook post that an angel was taken away from us in that horrific tragedy. No words can be said, so just prayers and sadness. The Palm Beach Post reported that Pollock's parents had gone to the hospital to look for their daughter after she didn't answer repeated phone calls. An amateur soccer club said one of its players, Alyssa 
Al-Hadif, was among the students killed in the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Parkland Soccer Club posted on its Facebook page that Alyssa was a loved and well-respected member of our club and community. The club posted a note saying it was from her family, which read, To Alyssa's friends, honor Alyssa by doing something fabulous in your life. Don't ever give up and aspire for greatness. Live for Alyssa. Be her voice and breathe for her. Alyssa loved you all forever. The organization asked members to wear red uniform tops and meet at a soccer field for an event to honor Alyssa. Feel free to bring flowers and candles, the note said. 14-year-old Elena Petty was among those who died in the shooting. Great Aunt Claudette confirmed in a Facebook post. There are no hashtags for moments like this. Only sadness, she wrote, asking people to lift up Petty's family in prayers. Petty attended a local church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Petty was a valiant young member of the Coral Springs Ward Church leader, uh, Stephen Thompson wrote in an update. Students said their geography teacher, Scott Beagle, 35, helped them enter a locked classroom to avoid the gunman and uh, paying for the brave act with his life. If the shooter would have come into the room, I probably wouldn't be speaking to you now, said Kelsey. Friend uh, told Good Morning America yesterday or today. Friend said that when she heard gunshots and realized it wasn't a drill, she followed other students towards the classroom. The geography teacher unlocked the door and let us in. I thought he was behind me, but he wasn't. When he opened the door, he had to relock it so we could stay safe, but he didn't get a chance to. I don't know how we're alive, she said. Facebook friends remembered him as an inspiration to many and their hero. So those are just some of the things that we have right now from some of these folks that have been just randomly shot. And Buddy Fisher is on the phone. Okay. We got... Hey, hey Buddy. How's it going? I'm doing well. Okay, so I want to clear something up because I haven't heard the fact. So the guy that was the security guard, uh, if he had no gun, then he's a security monitor. Or right. did he have a gun? Uh, it says security monitor. See, this is a joke. I know. This is the problem, okay? Yep. It's like, you know, look, if all you can do is get on your phone and say, hey, somebody send somebody to help us, then you are a joke. Why are we paying you? It's like, okay, put somebody there with a gun that can do something or just forget it because it's like this is useless. This is stupid. And the second thing is, and I know you already know this, you know, all those gun-free zone signs are working real well, aren't they? Yeah. No, I completely agree, buddy. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we put security with armed guards in the bank, but we fail to protect the most precious of our children by not having someone there with a gun or access to a gun in order to protect them against events like this. These children, okay. these are our children. And. Absolutely, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. Um, I'm doing a little armed security right now myself for some of the banks, okay? Uh And one of the banks that our company is uh, doing, and I won't call the name of the bank, okay? The one location, which is in North Little Rock, okay, a year ago, that did not have a security guard got robbed, okay? All of the other bank locations, the same company, 
never got robbed because they had armed security. Well, guess what? They have armed security five days a week, Monday through Friday, and guess what? They've had zero attempts since then. Now, yeah. does that – I mean, come on now. This is common sense, Val, you that know? Is. So for people who say, oh, well, you know, we don't need to have guns here, and, you know, put the guns – in somebody's hand that's trained and responsible, okay? We're not talking about putting guns in the hands of anybody, okay? I know you wouldn't advocate that. No. But nonetheless, there needs to be the presence of somebody that knows what they're doing, that's trained, and that can bring a stop to this kind of situation where 17 people and 50 people don't get uh, killed and 50 people get injured. I mean, you know, okay. We can, we can stop this real quickly, okay? So, well, the thing about it is, is that Democrats, buddy, have made it bad and scary to have a gun around anymore. Well, yeah, you know, it's not the what, person, it's not the gun. It's the person well, behind it wielding it. And if they are trained, course. because there are plenty of teachers that know how to use a gun, there are plenty. You know there are. And not yes, only ma'am. that, if you can, if you don't want to have a teacher, how about some of the veterans, the retired veterans in the community that Absolutely. have nothing to do that would love to go and guard these schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. There's so many well, things that I... we could do besides just leave our kids sit and teachers sitting ducks. Yes, ma'am. Well, I know I'm talking to the choir and I'm on your side, but anyhow, I just want to call and put my little quarter in there, my little two cents. But anyhow, keep on keeping on, Val, and you're doing a great job. We love you and thank you a lot. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate your call. All right. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, if if do we need to take a break, Zach? Five minutes, okay. I mean, the way I look at it, if 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 Democrats hadn't made it so bad and scary and tough, okay, just because there's a gun and locked up in a box that somebody might have a code to, so that they can take somebody out in an instance like this, it doesn't mean that 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 gun is going to be used against a child. It means it's going to be used against somebody who is threatening your child. And just because there's a gun at the school doesn't mean that anybody can get their hands on it. To me, there needs to be one person at least that can get in, you know, the, get in a box, a lockbox or whatever to get get a gun. Instead, they tell them, go hide behind the doors. Go hide. Go push everything up against the door. I'm sorry. That's not going to save you if you can't if you can't run behind things and you're already shot. And this guy, apparently, it was it was at random. And I'm saying this guy, I know his name. However, I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm not going to even mention his name. Um, this gentleman that they're reporting now was living with uh, another high school student in the months leading up to the shooting, uh, his attorney says, but... I'm trying to, it's sometimes this doesn't make sense, but I was living in a mobile home with a student for the last three months. So apparently it was this another student that goes to the school, a portrait of the suspected gunman, who's a former student at the school, in the high school where the Valentine's Day massacre, that's what I'm calling it, occurred. Um, a lot of this stuff started emerging hours after the deadliest shooting since Sandy Hook in 2012. And you knew that was going to happen um, because... That's immediately what we do. We start jumping, you know, to search who was it. Because we can't imagine why or what, what the person looked like. I don't know what the person looked like that would just be go crazy like that and shoot up little, you know, kids. 
Not little kids. It was a high school, but still they're kids. They're defenseless. Um, it says he was arrested without incident, just over a mile from where he uh, was suspected of killing more than a dozen people. Police say that he used an AR-15 and had multiple magazines on him during the shooting. Cruz's attorney, ooh, I said it, I'm sorry. His attorney, Jim Lewis, told the South Florida Sentinel that the firearm was legally bought and Cruz already owned the gun when he moved in with a friend, a junior at the Parkland High School three months ago. All right, well, we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back uh, and we'll talk some more about this, guys. Uh, when you were speaker, okay. there were Democrats who were clamoring for hearings in judiciary on this topic, and they did not get them. Um, is there Was there any specific reason for that at the time, and do you regret not doing more when you did have yeah. the gavel? Well, let me say what we did do, uh, because uh, uh, I don't remember people clamoring. We all were addressing uh, the issue. But part of the problem was, as as is, as was the case with the, the Dreamers, if I might add, you need 60 votes in the Senate. And so members were like, well, let's, what, how can we get 60 votes in the Senate? That was more the question, because that was more the hurdle. It's just a majority in the House. But what we did do, which I was very proud of, when we had uh, the majority, and was to pass our mental health parity legislation, because much is being said about mental health. And it is a factor. Uh, it, it isn't uh, dispositive of the issue. We have to do much more. But when we did, the Republican members came to me, and I don't name their names, they're not in the Congress now, but they said to me, we could never get a bill, on a, a hearing from our own leadership over these past years on mental health parity. We did have the hearing, we did pass the law, we did have it be part of the Affordable Care Act, which now they are trying to unravel. So that was one of the fundamentals of how do we prevent, uh, how do we prevent gun violence was this mental health piece. Very important, and as the distinguished uh, uh, representative from California mentioned, this is part of what they are undoing uh, with their, uh, uh, some of their legislation now. So again, this is something where we have to have the public really demand, because it's no, it, we need a majority to get it done, apparently. I, I wish that weren't the case. And I have said over and over, I'd rather pass gun safety legislation than win the election because people die from this. So that, that as a priority for me is, is one that I've always had. And now, of course, as a mother and a grandmother and seeing these children at risk at a place they should feel very safe is just unthinkable. She wishes that it wasn't the case that you had to have a majority to pass laws in Congress. What a crazy woman. She's just an absolute nutbag. She's demanding gun control after this Florida shooting. I got 10 seconds. Five seconds. All right. Well, we'll talk more about Pelosi when we come back from this break. Hey, we're back. This is Val Emmons filling in for Dave today. Uh, yeah, go ahead and give us a call if you have any comments on today uh, on the shooting uh, yesterday because... Here, you know, we're going to hear, you know how the drill goes. We're going to start hearing about Morgan control. And Pelosi's already on it right now. Uh, Pelosi demands gun control after Florida shooting. Uh, but Hollywood actors uh, like Adam Baldwin actually tweet her, her how wrong she is. Uh, Adam Baldwin tweeted, again, the shooter was stopped by people with firearms. Schools need armed security and volunteer staff members with a concealed carry license. Completely agree with that. 
completely agree. And then I I won't say that I've ever agreed with Mark Furman. Because <laughs> Mark Furman, if you all remember from OJ. But uh, Mark Furman tweeted, and he was on Fox News, and he said, I think you need to make school security a specialty. And I'll have you know, when we were going over the NSA school um, shield, with when um well he's now governor Arkansas, governor of Arkansas Asa Hutchinson he was over the NSA or I'm sorry the um National Rifle Association's School Shield program and he came up uh he was the chair of that and we talked about that and that's exactly what I said that and this was a couple of years ago this was in 14 uh right before he won the election and you know when I read the report it made more sense to me to have a school security be a specialty like um you know crime crime units and all these things they need you need a specialty to be taking care of the things that we need to be taking care of when it comes to our children this is this is different from any other setting that a police officer would work in it is your school these are your children so I think it makes more sense to have a specialty. It doesn't make any sense for us to. And, you know, the the programs that offer the school police officers, those are grants. And some of those grants ran out years ago. So the schools, some of these rural areas, especially, I don't, this wasn't a rural area, but they don't have the money and funding to, to hire a security. So they have police officers do it, but you have to have funding for that. And so my suggestion was veterans. What about these? Some of these veterans come home from the war in, in Iraq and they get PTSD and they don't know, you know, they get well, but then they don't have anything to do. And and that that and that is the big part of helping them get back. So they get give them something to do. So this would protect our children at the same time as giving veterans something to do. Um. I just, I think that it's crazy that we don't, like I said before, we don't protect our children as we protect our banks and our money in this country. And it's sick. It's disturbing. You go to the bank and you got an armed guard. You go to a school and you can just open fire. Bombs away. Kids are sitting ducks. And then, and then they tell you, okay, because one of the women, one of the moms got a tweet. Her daughter was telling her to stay away. I'm sorry. You ain't going to keep me away from that school if my child's in there. And that's the thing. Your child's in there with nothing to protect them. And you have to stand outside and wait. Oh, no. They'd, I'd be going down in a blaze of glory. They'd have to take me down. And then someone said, to, yes, me, you didn't pee the investigation and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. It's the emotion that would take me over. Not, not my common sense would be out the window. When it comes to my kids, oh, no, 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 no. I would be flying through that. I'd be like, shoot me, whatever. I'm going to get my kids. Y'all don't want me to have, you don't want the teacher to have a gun? Well, I'm going in to get my kid. And that, and that's to me is what a lot, I can't imagine being one of those parents sitting out there just waiting, not knowing. And then like they said, that one little girl just ringing, her cell phone's ringing. Can you imagine the thoughts going through those parents' minds? They have no idea what's going on. Ugh. It just really irks me that people like Pelosi want to demand more gun control when gun control is not going to solve this. 
Do you have that clip from Trey Gowdy? Can you uh, play that one? I think it's important to know all of that before you jump to conclusions that there's some law that we could have passed that could have prevented it. And there may be, but shouldn't we at least know the facts? What do you tell Americans who think that Congress does not act, be it on mental health or guns or pick your topic? Well, the first thing I would say to, uh, to, to this generation of children is how sorry I am. Uh, you have witnessed school shootings, mall shootings, concert shootings. There is no place that seems safe in our society. So as devastating as the loss of life is, the loss of innocence for this generation of children, I don't know anyone who would not pass a bill today that would prevent the next mass shooting. But, but to Senator Rubio's point, you got to find out how he accessed the gun. you got to find out whether or not there was a data point at some point in his background where someone could have reported it, whether or not he accessed the gun legally or illegally. Usually, at about this time, Bill, we hear about the gun show loophole. Um, fine, close the gun show loophole, but how many mass killings have resulted from guns purchased at gun shows? So I, I, my criticism of the Obama administration was we had an eight-year decline in gun prosecutions. My objective is to prosecute the person before he takes a life, enforce these laws for which the Obama administration said there was no jury appeal. I get it. I used to prosecute them. There's no jury appeal in, 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 in prosecuting a prohibited person. There is jury appeal in a murder case, but, but, but our goal should be to avoid the murder. So if you can show me a law that will prevent the next mass killing, go ahead and sign me up for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, according to, to papers and news and all the things, like we don't know the full scope of this. It just happened. But uh, apparently the family, uh, the gun was his, and the family made uh, him keep it in a locked gun cabinet in the house. But he had a key. Um, he was currently living with a friend because, uh, according to this article I'm reading, his mother, his adopted mon- mother had died in November of pneumonia. And his adopted father died uh, earlier in the shooter's life. That was according to the Sun Sentinel. Um, you know, all these people are saying they didn't think there was a major issue with the shooter, and they were shocked to find out he was the suspect. That's what they always say, though, because the shooter isn't going to say, hey, I'm going to shoot up a school. But you know what? He did say those things. He did say those things. And I'm going to read this is from the Associated Press in Parkland, Florida. An orphaned 19-year-old who participated in parliamentary drills with a white nationalist group was charged with murder today in the deaths of 17 people who were fatally shot at a huge Florida high school in the nation's deadliest school attack in five years. The shooter legally purchased the AR-15 rifle used in the assault at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, law enforcement told uh, the Associated Press. As the criminal case against the suspect takes shape, the leader of a white nationalist militia called the Republic of Florida, said that the shooter was a member of his group and participated in exercises in Tallahassee. Jordan Jareb told the Associated Press that he, or that he did not know the shooter personally, but that he had acted on his own behalf and is solely responsible for what he just did. The group wants Florida to become its own white ethno-state, 
Jerob said his organization holds spontaneous random demonstrations and tries not to participate in the modern world. He also said the shooter had trouble with a girl and that he believed the timing of the attack on Valentine's Day was not a coincidence. Okay, but then how do you go and say that you don't know the guy personally then? If you knew that he's having trouble with a girl, I guess that's hearsay. Uh, Anyway, in a national address from the White House, President Donald Trump said he wanted America's children to know you are never alone and you never will be. Hey, Russ, can we play the uh, President Trump speech on this uh, shooting? My fellow Americans, today I speak to a nation in grief. Yesterday, a school filled with innocent children and caring teachers became the scene of terrible violence, hatred, and evil. Around 2.30 yesterday afternoon, police responded to reports of gunfire at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, a great and safe community. There, a shooter who is now in custody, opened fire on defenseless students and teachers. He murdered 17 people and badly wounded at least 14 others. Our entire nation, with one heavy heart, is praying for the victims and their families. To every parent, teacher, and child, who is hurting so badly. We are here for you, whatever you need, whatever we can do to ease your pain. We are all joined together as one American family, and your suffering is our burden also. No child, no teacher should ever be in danger in an American school. No parent should ever have to fear for their sons and daughters when they kiss them goodbye in the morning. Each person who was stolen from us yesterday had a full life ahead of them, a life filled with wondrous beauty and unlimited potential and promise. Each one had dreams to pursue, love to give, and talents to share with the world. And each one had a family to whom they meant everything in the world. Today, we mourn for all of those who lost their lives. We comfort the grieving and the wounded. And we hurt for the entire community of Parkland, Florida, that is now in shock and pain and searching for answers. To law enforcement, first responders, and teachers who responded so bravely in the face of danger, we thank you for your courage. Soon after the shooter, I spoke with Governor Scott to convey our deepest sympathies to the people of Florida and our determination to assist in any way that we can. I also spoke with Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi and Broward County Sheriff 
Scott Israel. I'm making plans to visit Parkland, to meet with families and local officials, and to continue coordinating the federal response. In these moments of heartache and darkness, we hold on to God's word in Scripture. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. We trust in that promise, and we hold fast to our fellow Americans in their time of sorrow. I want to speak now directly to America's children, especially those who feel lost, alone, confused, or even scared. I want you to know that you are never alone and you never will be. You have people who care about you, who love you, and who will do anything at all to protect you. If you need help, turn to a teacher, a family member, a local police officer, or a faith leader. Answer hate with love. Answer cruelty with kindness. We must also work together to create a culture in our country that embraces the dignity of life, that creates deep and meaningful human connections, and that turns classmates and colleagues into friends and neighbors. Our administration is working closely with local authorities to investigate the shooting and learn everything we can. We are committed to working with state and local leaders to help secure our schools and tackle the difficult issue of mental health. Later this month, I will be meeting with the nation's governors and attorney generals. We're making our schools and our children safer will be our top priority. It is not enough to simply take actions that make us feel like we are making a difference. We must actually make that difference. In times of tragedy, the bonds that sustain us are those of family, faith, community, and country. These bonds are stronger than the forces of hatred and evil. And these bonds grow even stronger in the hours of our greatest need. And so always, but especially today, let us hold our loved ones close. Let us pray for healing and for peace. And let us come together as one nation to wipe away the tears and strive for a much better tomorrow. Thank you, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. All right, and uh, we're going to get to Daryl. Daryl, are you there? Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hey, Daryl. We only got a couple of seconds. What, what, uh, what was your question? Uh, teachers that have carry license are not allowed to carry in school. Isn't that ridiculous? And maybe, maybe they will be when they get their advanced, right? This new advanced teacher license. But I got one question for everybody out there: Where, wherever the shooting is, why is everybody running away when you could have a five or six people run to him? Yeah, but he had an AR-15. It's not that easy. Well, yeah, it is. 
I mean, he, if you turn sideways, I mean, he can't shoot AR-15. I mean, you got to hit him in the head. Well, I think that, you know, the teachers are trained at the active shooting training probably to protect the students, not take out the shooter. But I'm sure that uh, if there were a teacher carrying, that would be their main objective, would be to take out the shooter while the other teachers are getting the kids to safety. Exactly. Well, even in the teachers or, 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 or any other deal. Everybody's running away. Yeah, I mean, they're... Run run to him, knock him down, take his weapon. That's what they're told to do, though. Daryl, that's what they're told to do. Run away. Throw something at them. Run away. That's what they... Block yourself in, in, in a closet so you're trapped. That's what they tell them to do. One of the teachers was running. locked in a closet with 19 kids. All that shooter had to do was blow through the door with that AR-15 and all 20 of them would have been dead. It's sick and disturbing that these people are sitting ducks. I understand that those people are sitting ducks because they don't have the knowledge or the capability of doing what needs to be done. And the armed forces and the veterans, and they do, they they run to... Like a fireman runs to a fire. Right. Veterans and armed forces run to to stop right. what's going on. That's why a simple solution would be have some veterans come home, you know, get situated in their lives, come home, take some security up at the school. I mean take this take this guy out. Right. I mean, you make you I mean I mean you you're risking your own life and and you risked your own life over in Afghanistan or wherever. You've done that. You risking your own life. I I understand that. You you could be killed, but you could also stop him from killing a hundred more people by taking him down. Yep, I agree. And we're gonna have to get to a break, but uh, I agree with you, Daryl, because I think that trained Veterans just sitting around doing nothing when they come home could be a solution to this problem. All right, being that it's uh, coming up on the 3 o'clock hour and we still don't have enough information on this shooting yet because it just happened yesterday. I'm not going to do any more speculation. I just wanted to get a couple of things out that I that were you know important to me. And I think that having armed security at school is one of those important things. And I think that they're probably going to look at the NRA school shield that Asa chaired back when after sandy hook um i bet they look at that because that was a great plan it really was i read it and i went over it with asa uh, in an interview and it was pretty amazing what he had what he and his uh committee had come up with so i'm gonna move over to something because so everyone knows yesterday was valentine's day too either you liked it or you didn't but when we come back i've got a very interesting story for you from Michael Brooks from We Are the 22. Very interesting story. Yeah, we'll be right back. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attention. 
If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year. And we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. And we are back. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm obviously not Dave Ellswick. I don't know if any of you have been watching our live feed now from Facebook, but we are live in the studio. Just go to 96.5 FM's webpage, or I'm sorry, Facebook page. And uh, No, ma'am, you're going to go to the Dave Ellswick Show webpage. Oh, Dave Ellswick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dave Ellswick Show uh, webpage. Facebook page. Facebook page. I'm so confused. Like, he comes in here a while ago and tells me, hey, you've been on the air for an hour. And I was like, what? I have not been. And yes, I have. So I hope I didn't pick my nose or make any funny faces or anything like that because I did not know I was on funny camera. Funny faces, yes. I'm not sure about picking your nose. <laughs> didn't pay it. I wasn't paying that big of attention to it. <laughs> well, you were in the other room. Zach was here. But Zach didn't tell me I was on TV. Yes, TV. We have some cool cameras in here now. That is just, it's just crazy. And it happens to be HD, so you can see this big, any pimples you have on your face. You can see them. Um, so in the studio, I've got Michael Brooks with me from uh, We Are The 22. Uh, <laughs> you know, some people had a wonderful Valentine's Day yesterday, but others sent them by themselves. However, Michael, you have a pretty crazy stalker. Yeah. That I want to talk about because it's actually affected your organization's Facebook page. It sure has. In a big way. Yes, ma'am. And you can't help veterans today. Can't. Well, I can. It's just I'm going to have to put some information out there for everybody listening. Uh, basically, what happened was yesterday I was scanning my page and I looked down on a post I'd made for Valentine's Day and I saw an odd uh, comment from a lady I don't know. And so I clicked on it, just being curious. And <laughs> when it opened up, she had pictures of herself and me i've never met this woman i have five thousand people on my facebook so i've not met a lot of the people but she lives in washington state she had pictures of myself being married to her and everything <laughs> else so she's pulled off my page she actually had two other pages apparently of me named matthew john brooks which my name is michael brooks and she had actually been running a dialogue with herself from myself to her <laughs> saying that I, it was it was so in, it was very crazy but here's the thing is that it's really funny but it's not because what she did about three o'clock in the morning was report my page as being an impersonator which is when you think about it even crazier but uh facebook's deemed to put me in facebook jail what has happened is let's put we are the 22 in jail as well so right now that we are the 22 page is not online and she is showing you pictures. It's funny. On um, here. This woman is crazy. <laughs> yeah, She's crazy. Look, it's see, serious. Look, you know that if there's a page and there is not one person. It looks a lot like you, Val. <laughs> it does not. Oh. No, it does not. Oh, her hair funny. is frosted that's, and she is ugly. That's funny right there. Are you there. saying I'm ugly, Russ? I mean, not that I'm conceited or anything. He's not talking. No, I know. I know. He's not talking. What the, what the heck? Come back here. No, no. Like, so, you know, like, there's no pictures of you and her together in a photo. She, like, put them. We're in the same frame. <laughs> <laughs> We're not necessarily in the same picture. Let me find some of these others. Here we go. Here we go. Look at this one, Russ. So that's hilarious. All, that's all hilarious. <laughs> and you're making a huge joke out of it. Oh, yeah, I appreciate I'm not, that. I'm not. But the fact remains is, is that that brought down We Are The yeah. 22 as well. So all jokes aside. 
that's pretty serious because right now social media was how we were getting a lot of veterans to reach out to us that were in crisis. Right. So what that means is is that right now a veteran who may is aware who may be aware of us who may be aware of what we do who may not be having a great night tonight could be in crisis and try to get online and contact us through and your Facebook page social media and we're all gone. It's not even there, and so they may. That's not a good thing. So well, if anybody out there needs you needs me or the they foundation. can always contact me and i can call i can text you or russell steed or russell steed or i'll even give my cell out this is my personal cell this is how much we care watch like it for stalkers app well it's already a little late so <laughs> i would i'm more concerned about the veteran who may need right. a hand today right. so my personal cell if you need to contact me or you know a veteran who's in crisis or sui- who is suicidal or who just needs some help uh feel free to reach out to me my number is 479-276-6567 that's my personal cell i'll answer that myself and uh, I will respond to any local Arkansas veterans who may be in crisis. I myself or some of my team will. And uh, so that that was really it. I mean, I know it's all funny, and we all got a good laugh out of it on Facebook. But but the reality does remain that that some creepy stalker people out there have, have just, ruined. Well, they haven't ruined the foundation. They've just they've right. they've pulled us offline for a few days off of some you know well basically creepy weird ironic Valentine's Day stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that's something that people don't think about when they. When they put all their eggs in the basket of Facebook, I mean, because I hear about people going to Facebook jail all the time. And when you run an organization, if you don't tag someone else to run that, that whole thing is shut down. Yep. And you run that all on your own, so. Yeah, I know. I need a tech guy right now, but that's that's just not there. So, no, right. so what we have is, uh, so we have is is the scenario now. Our web website, uh, www.wearethe22.org, that is still up. But as far as the response side of it, that's kind of been pulled down. We're in Facebook jail probably for 72 hours. We hope or less. We've already uh, sent in the stuff to prove who we are and everything. So hopefully that will that will go through quickly. But as it stands, like I said, you can contact Russell Steed on Facebook. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-T-E-E-D. You can contact Val here at the station or on Facebook. And you can contact me at 479-276-6567. In case you know of any veterans who may need some assistance tonight or yeah. in the next day or so. So we're still rolling, but if you're looking us up online, yes, we are blacked out right now on social media. So uh, that's why. So, yeah, you're not gone. You're no, just we're still here temporarily. Still yep. So I have a, so what if, so I know the last time you were here, you were talking about uh, you had a veteran that you were trying to get into uh, the VA, one of the programs. Yeah, how'd and that go? Brought up well, it, 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 we hit the same the same exact uh, problems we've been hitting. There's a problem with overflow bedding at the VA. So basically, what that means for a veteran in crisis, or even a veteran who just wants to get some help, like maybe inpatient mental health care for PTSD, addiction, alcohol, whatever. What that means is, is that when you go up there, or when I take a veteran up there who's in crisis. They will basically be bounced around a lot because there's nowhere to put them. So the overflow bedding uh, beddings are, is full, and the VA at this time does not have any measures for getting more overflow beds. And you've got to think that when the weather's, weather's inclement and it's cold, that that's when a lot of the right. guys coming off the streets. So uh, we're actually this year, I think we're going to kick off a uh, movement to actually uh, push for policy change and maybe to get some new bedding here in Little Rock because that would be great. If you had a place you could just stick them, to get them out of the elements and, and to keep them, you know, stable, stable and in care and everything and right there, get them fed. That would be great. It's so much better than turning them away because yeah. that's what's going on right now. Almost. I mean, like if you go up there and you say you've been struggling with alcohol or addiction or whatever problems for however long 
and you finally break down. You're like, you know what? I need help. And you go up to the VA and they say, basically, look, we'll help you, but it's going to be a couple weeks from now because there's nowhere to put you. There's a strong possibility, and, and even statistically, that, 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 that nor- sometimes guys will go home, they will either not come back or they will kill themselves. Right. So, you know, I mean, if the problem is that bad and they feel like that they, you know, just got the no door help. shut in their face, right. then, I mean, sometimes it turns the wrong way and they go they go and they do the, the unthinkable. So uh, we want to prevent that. We actually think that having the overflow bedding available will be a major asset, not only to the North Ro- or the Arkansas VA system, but, of course, to the veterans in the local areas. So that'll be a, more of a guarantee that if they finally reach out for help, that there'll be help there. So. That's one of the things we're going to push for this this year, I think. And you have something. We have something coming up. If anyone doesn't know, I'm also on the board of the We Are the 22. So that's why I push it. She is the treasurer. um, I push it like I do because I believe in our veterans and I believe that they deserve better treatment than what we give them when they come home after they've given up so much for us. Um, You, we've been planning a a rally. Yes. I don't know if you want to go public with that or not. Uh, yet, well, but I'll touch on it right now because we haven't. We haven't put it on the calendar. Yeah, it's on the calendar. Uh, we're still kind of in the tentative phases of it, but what we're wanting, what we're kicking around right now is is a rally for solutions, and sometime in early May. And what for, we mean May by that, May. Sorry, excuse me. We've yes, already. We've already. Uh, uh, we've but already, uh, as yeah. far as that goes, uh, what we're kicking around right now it's not totally set in stone so let's not throw it out there like that but what we are kicking around is the idea like last year we did a rally for uh again for va reform and it ended up being more kind of like a protest because we were new we were young and we just want knew we wanted to make a voice you know have a voice and be heard so we went about it the only way we know how now over this last year we've learned a lot and we've grown a lot so what we're proposing now is to team up with paul bunn and the veteran outreach ministries in cersei for what we're we're calling, like I said, the vet, uh, rally for solutions, which is basically where instead of just bringing up a complaint for the VA, then what we're going to try to do is present an actual viable solution for the complaint and draw get uh, petitions and everything signed for it and try to uh, influence policy change at the highest level with uh, public support. So not only we won't just be the idea is we won't just be saying, hey, look, there's a problem and this sucks. We'll be actually be saying, hey, look, this is the problem, and we have proof of the problem, but here is a solution that if you guys would work with this would work. And I think that that would be a better way to go about trying to get things changed. So that's uh, that will be early May, May 5th, I think you said. And, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo. And uh, we will be – you'll be hearing more of that as we go. I'm sure we'll be on here on that. But look for probably around the 1st of March, we'll start going public all the way with that, and you'll hear – more detail about it but that's the uh tentative outline right now and so. uh we already have the grounds of the capital secure so it's going to be there yes we do and so wow um but yes we do and uh so i'm not i'm not sure how much further we want to go into that at this juncture because we do have partners yeah. in this so uh and so we haven't talked to them all the way on that but yeah that's the idea um another thing i kind of wanted to touch on was uh this cold weather and yeah. the homeless guys yeah. if Make sure that if you see, you know, a veteran or you know of a veteran that's struggling. I know that Colonel Ross with Veteran Villages just took a hit the other night. I know he's been trying to house homeless veterans. And uh, I don't know if you know Colonel Ross, but he's with Veteran Villages of America. And what he does, Veteran Villages of America, and what he does is purchase uh, rental properties. And he houses homeless veterans uh, temporarily to get them on their feet. And he doesn't, he charges them little, no rent. And they work on the places they stay at. 
Well, one of those burnt down this weekend, so I just wanted to sh- send a shout-out to Mike Ross with Veteran Villages. Uh, one of the guys we just helped, actually, was mm-hmm. one of the five veterans being housed in that house that mm-hmm. burnt down. And so uh, if you know Mike Ross, I'm sure he could be use- he could use some some help right now and uh, with housing those guys. That was a hard hit, and uh, the veteran community, we all stick together. So I wanted to say, you know, send my shout-out to him and see if anybody – that knows either that foundation, if they want to donate, this would probably be the very best time for right. that because they just took a hard hit. Clothing, space heaters, anything of that nature for, for housing guys because I know he's trying to rally right now. So He's a good guy. He he's does a, good a guy. lot. He's been on the show before, too. Uh, yep. He does a lot of good stuff, too. Well, I'm trying to. We're, we're 22. We're trying to push a more of a, a positive, like, one team, one fight mentality. Veteran-centered, not yes, everyone else. Yeah, all these, right. we're all these smaller veteran groups. We try to, I'm going to start trying to represent them and promote them with us so that, you know, uh, more people are aware that they're there. Because that's the problem with these smaller foundations. They put all their, their funding into actually helping. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a lot of funding for promotion and things of that nature. So people may not know they're there. So if they know they're there, theoretically, they'll be more willing to reach out to them. Yeah, that's what I do, Michael. Yes, it Don't is. steal my you job. Get the word out there. I'm sorry. Don't steal my job. Oh, no, I'm not. You have plenty to do. I have more than enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Russ, do we have to take a break? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back, and we'll talk with Michael some more. Thank you. And we are back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Um, obviously not Dave Ellswick. No. Unless he had a really high-pitched voice. <laughs> Dave, I don't think you do. He's got a pretty low voice. It's his birthday today. If you guys are on his Facebook page or whatever, give him a shout-out. For his birthday. Um, well, I hope everyone had a, despite Michael's <laughs> dilemma yesterday, I hope everyone had a, a good Valentine's Day. Um, but what did they tell you to do about that? I mean, I had a good Valentine's Day. I found out I was married, apparently. Oh, so yeah, she put you as married to you. That was a you, cool Valentine's right. Day surprise <laughs> for myself. And I was like, wow, I'm uh, I'm married to a woman in Washington. I didn't even know. <laughs> and I have a different name than I was aware of. So it's, it was a pretty event-filled day. But they told me to send your ID and basic uh, identification stuff for Facebook. So I'm probably going to be in the foundation. will probably be in Facebook jail for a couple of days. So That's crazy. It is crazy that, that that stupid little deal affected everything so much. Yes, I mean, and she had, like, it wasn't just, like, yes. one picture. No. She had, like, multiple pictures of she, you guys in the same frame. She, Not together, but yeah. in the same frame. Multiple pages. Yeah. Of myself. You. Yeah. Well, it was Matthew John Brooks. And, so. Yeah, right. And then My married friend. to you. Yes. And you had a daughter, even. Yes. <laughs> did yes. you know that? I did not. <laughs> and I was I was pretty shocked. And uh, so, but, I mean, and I, I mean, I'm sitting here joking about it. And at the no, same time, I know. I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, what if there's a guy out there needing help today? And, you know. I know. So that that's bothering me at the same time, and I'm a little irritated by that. And so, uh, yeah, that could have that could have not happened yesterday, and I'd have been okay with it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's all right. It, it's terrible, especially whenever you have made such strides in making your Facebook page and getting the word out about the organization. We are the 22 to yeah. help people. Yes, ma'am. Um. So again, they can call you. Yes, ma'am. If uh, that's a four seven nine two seven six six five six seven. That's my personal cell. If you know of any veterans in crisis or that may need some help, um, that's that's how dedicated we are. We are the twenty two. I'll give out my personal cell to save a veteran. So on the yeah, air, I'm so not giving out mine on the air. I will. I apologize. It's life and death. So, um. So, 
What else has been going on? I know you helped. You've been working with a guy this week. Yeah, um, we, well, we helped. We helped Turner the Ross. guy. Yes, that we, we yesterday uh, we we leaned on Taylor LeBeau from the Mental Health Council. Uh, he actually w- made contact first, but and led the way on that one. But uh, yeah, one of the gentlemen that was in the house that burned down one of Colonel Ross's uh, houses, one of those veterans. Uh, the Red Cross put him up for a day or two, and uh, we got him into the VA. So he's doing well. And I think that he's looking at a very positive outlook right now. So I think that actually, I don't want to say this was a blessing at all because he lost all his worldly goods and we're right. going to try to help him recoup those. But, uh, but I mean, at the same time, he's in a program now. He's going to be able to save up some money. And when he gets out, he'll have enough for a down payment on a place. And this may actually have been the momentum, you know, the thing to push the momentum to get him back on his feet. So that's what we're hoping and we're standing behind him and i, I mean i'd really like to see the gentleman come work or work with us when right. he gets out so that's that's what i'm looking for so because that's part of our main one of the main things that works for us is that we always like you know try to re- recycle the guys that we help back into the foundation to send them back out to help other vets so that's the whole basis of we are the 22 so you know i'm got my fingers crossed this guy will get out of care and come work with us so maybe come on there one day and talk about some guys yeah. he saved so you know, he seemed pretty excited about it. So well, you're doing a lot of good stuff, and um, I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad to have it's, you. Uh, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. And if anybody else would like to help, you can also reach out to me, and I will get you in the direction you need. Well, we need uh, veterans to fill the group. T- the- tell you what, Val, let's talk about what we talked about the other day. I would like to start a vet, an auxiliary, a women's auxiliary of We Are the 22 with family, you know, involving support. lives. Family yeah. support. Yeah, that would that well, the idea right now is to uh, maybe have an auxiliary comprised of the wives or girlfriends of responders or just people that care that could help with after family care, like after a veterans in crisis and we get them into the VA. There's a lot of needs sometimes with the family and the wife and the kids and things that are left behind. Like sometimes they need food and basic um, toiletries or whatever until they can get a paycheck or kind of get on their feet. And with the veteran in the hospital, sometimes that's difficult. So what I would like to do is actually have a uh auxiliary of civilians that could help with that that could help go to local pantry food pantries and things of that nature and get food to the families if it's needed or whatever and check in on them so just a network of good people mm-hmm. that want to help uh their veterans out i think that's a great idea because from what i've seen yes, you've been you've seen it i mean a lot of the veterans they, they don't want to they don't want to go and leave their wife unattended or their children or their children for sure and so if they don't have what they need he's definitely not going to go exactly if he's worried about how his family is going to eat for the next few right. days until he gets paid or if he's worried about you know if the kids are going to have this or that or another it's going to really make it difficult for him to go in and get help for himself for most most veterans so what we're what i'm kind of proposing to you is let's let's do that let's start that auxiliary and put that together and you know, yeah yeah no? yeah i think that's a great idea <laughs> I think it's a good idea because I think it's much needed. I think a a lot of focus gets on the veterans, but not enough focus gets put on the family. And they're the ones that support the veteran when they come back home. That's true. And also whenever they're in the program, Mm -hmm. if they don't think that their family's being looked after or whatever or okay, they're not going to be okay and settle very true into the program because they're going to be antsy and they're going to be thinking about their families and they're going to be like worried about them, making Mm -hmm. sure they have enough stuff and they might want to just quit. Yeah. And we don't want them to quit. We do not want them to quit. They have to finish the program. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. So what kind of program uh what kind of program would you would you put someone in that was say say a family member called mm-hmm. and they said that their spouse or a loved one was talking about suicide. Yes. What would be the first thing that you would do? 
Uh, well, are you talking about if we are the 22, yes, how we would yes, respond? Yes, yes, Okay. We would basically send a guy in. Uh, we would make contact with that veteran. I don't think I have the time to discuss the full No, we'll do that thing. when we come back. All right, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we still have 30 seconds. Okay. Well, we would go in. We would make contact with the veteran. We would see what we could do initially. We would try to talk him down. If he was in crisis, say with a weapon, we would try to obviously get that from them. And I think we're about to have a break. So. Yeah. <laughs> He's better at it than I am, Russ. <laughs> and we'll be right back, y'all. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons. And I have Michael Brooks from We Are The 22 in with me. Um, we're talking about preventing veteran suicide. And a lot of people don't know what they can do to support the veteran or the service member in their life who's going through the difficult time. But a simple act of kindness sometimes can save someone that might feel less alone. And... If you want to, you can follow up with, uh, if you needed to call Michael at We Are The 22. Yeah. And then what would you do from there, Michael? Uh, it depends on the scenario, of course. This situation dictates for every, uh, obviously, every call. But if, let's say, a veteran has a gun and they are probably inebriated, let's say, um, or have been on a binge of drugs or alcohol, what we would generally do is uh, once the call comes in, of course, we'd have to find the location of the veteran, and then we would activate our teams to go to that veteran. And while we were en route, we call local law enforcement and EMTs. We prepare them and let them know what we're about to do and try to get them in a holding pattern like a block or two away without showing up because in our experience, a lot of times when law enforcement shows up, it escalates the scenario almost without fail. So also a lot of veterans that uh, are a lot of uh, suicide by cop scenarios are actually statistically done by veterans. And so I know that we have a higher penchant for it apparently. So um, what we would try to do is keep the police and EMTs like a block or two away holding them while we go in and talk to the veteran. Once we get to the scene, we make contact with the veteran and we try to open a dialogue, find common ground with that veteran, uh, get them to start talking about their problems, what's wrong. And uh, our normally we try our normal and priority generally at that point is the family of the veteran or anyone in the area, if they're, especially if they're armed. We try to get them out of the area quietly. And then, uh, and then after that, you know, our prior primary focus is on the veteran themselves. Uh, once we get a dialogue started, we get them talked down. We kind of figure out what the issue is. Then, of course, we would want to get that weapon away. That's our next priority. Uh, once the weapon is secured and we have that, you know, somewhere in our possession and out of the area and out of the out of the whole scene, then what we would do is talk that veteran in, attempt to talk that, see what that veteran needs, because a lot of times there's an underlying issue, like there's, oh, they couldn't get, they couldn't get their bills paid, or they're homeless, or they're this, or they're that. So we try to find what the problems are that are causing the crisis feeling in the veteran, and we attempt to address those if we can. If there's underlying drugs and issues, or drugs and alcohol, if that's the issue, then our best scenario is to get them down to the VA because that's what they're geared for. We would take them to McClellan for three days for them to dry out if there was a drugs or alcohol involved. Once that was done, then we would take them and we would encourage them to get into a program inpatient at Roots. Now, if they were a combat veteran or have a diagnosis of PTSD and they have a drug and alcohol addiction, then what I would normally do is push them towards the PTSD uh well, the dual diagnosis program, that's where they treat PTSD and or mental illness and, uh, let's say, drugs and alcohol. And that's hence the dual diagnosis. That is the one here in Little Rock. That is a very, very effective program there at Fort Roots. And uh, it's got a very high success rate. I'm actually an alumni of that of that particular uh, course, and uh, it's very good. I can vouch for it myself. Uh, 
And, but like I said, it's a situation dictates some guys they have jobs they're holding down. They can't go inpatient for long extended periods. So what we're trying to do right now is reach out into civilian sector, the civilian sector and find assets such as shelters, uh, food pantries, things of that nature. And with the problem with the VA and it's, and it's bed, it's overflow bedding right now mm. being a non-existent. Right. So we're having to do that to try to take some of the relief off of the VA and make it to where we don't just have to let a veteran go after we put so much work in to get them, get them right. calm down. So. Yeah, because, I mean, they send them away after you've already gotten them calmed down, all right? You've given them some hope. Yep. And you get them there. And like, ah, come back in two weeks. Yeah. It's a letdown. I mean, it's a was, huge letdown. Last summer, there was actually a guy that we were told about by their family. And um, we, it was the guy, the gentleman in question wasn't, was homeless. He was younger than me. And he, uh, we, I took my crew out and we went around Cersei, drove around the streets of Cersei, Arkansas for about three or four straight days. Uh, just cruising around looking for him. We finally found him on that, I think that third or fourth day at an Exxon begging. And uh, we got out and we started talking to him. We made contact. We got him to agree to go in somehow to the VA. We took him all the way down here to Little Rock from Cersei. And after an hour and a half at Fort Roots, they basically said there wasn't anything they could do for him. So we actually had to take that veteran back to Exxon in Cersei and drop ah. him off that night. No joke. And that was really hard to do and uh and then come back in the morning and hope he was there now he was and we got him in but uh, i mean most of the time when you get to that 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 kind of a wall you really don't expect to see him there the next day just because I and mean, that's where he wanted to go back to he didn't he, want to yeah. what from your experience so far doing this what makes a veteran who has who gets most of the time pay what makes them homeless what makes them decide that that's a better option i don't think any veteran has ever decided that being homeless was a better option that's kind of degrading to the veterans well i don't but, mean that it's, i don't mean it in that sense i mean i mean in sense that what gets them on that path uh sometimes a war will do that you know and well, uh, <laughs> i know that too, I'm, not, but, I'm being crass but um i'm saying uh let's see there, there's a lot of factors and i don't think again i'm going to reiterate that i don't think any veteran out there i know i i've been homeless and i did not ever while i was in basic training say you know what i'm gonna get out of here and be a homeless veteran yeah, i didn't so, mean it like that so but what i will say in my scenario and i won't speak for any other veteran out there uh but i will speak for my own self and my own experience is that after the after i was retired from the military from my combat injuries and told that i could no longer do the job in my chosen career then um and then they had ba- and i felt like that they had basically taken my identity not to mention i was considered disabled and individually unemployable because of my seizures like nobody wants to insure me can i stop you right there sure. what was your job uh in the army mm-hmm. i was uh i did i joined as 11 bravo as infantry and i did a combat tour and a couple different things as infantry and then that last tour while i got wounded i was actually a combat engineer at 21 bravo uh doing route clearance so uh, so I did two jobs in the military, but the military itself was my identity and my own opinion. So when they told me I had to retire, they sent me home. Yes, I was drawing a paycheck, but I won in my, my personal case. They had me on Oxycontin for a very long time, and I became physically addicted to it. And because I didn't of your even, combat injuries? Well, yes, because yeah. of my combat injuries. And the medication was prescribed by the VA, but it was like 60 milligrams a day for Oof. over a year. And you will become physically addicted on Oxycontin. And even if you don't think you can, like I did, I didn't even know that was possible unless you abused it. But no, you could take it as prescribed, become physically addicted. And once they took everything else, I thought in my head from me and I was just sitting at home and I was depressed. I went from jumping out of helicopters and being, you know, 
that guy to just sitting at the couch in my hometown not doing anything it really messed with my psyche um i became i gave up caring about myself i became more worried about the drugs because at least i didn't have to feel anything and that pretty much consumed all of my money for a while there for a few years and i mean it's not my proudest moment but there's a lot of things that can happen i mean a guy can sit there and get so far in debt he can go through a divorce i mean anything and he might have been he might have come home or got out of the military and done very well for a long time and then something comes up that triggers i mean i know vietnam veterans who who came home and had led successful lives and everything like that and now they're in their 70s and they are now having ptsd episodes and things of that nature when they never did for 50 years so you never know what could be the trigger and i mean you can i know a vietnam veteran that 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 was the scenario like he he came home he led a very productive very uh very good life and then now he's in his 70s and he's having flashbacks and he's having ptsd and it's messing with his day-to-day function things of that nature can contribute uh man you know there's so many factors there's no single thing you can point to on how a veteran becomes homeless also you have to consider not all veterans draw a check in fact the majority of them do not so just because you're a veteran doesn't mean you're getting a nice check right in fact for the most part it means you're not so it means you did your 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 service to your country and now you're sitting at home and maybe fighting for a that's another thing a veteran can become homeless because they're out of the military and they don't have a claim yet let's say they can't work because of uh, injuries or or uh, problems from the military their military career and they're in that cmp and that med board process or they're in that claims process with the va so if they're not drawing a check yet i actually know a gentleman that's the case he was a 20 i think six year veteran uh i served with him good guy i'm not gonna throw his name out there for the public but but he's a great guy, man, and uh, he got bladder cancer. He retired from the military after 26 years, has bladder cancer, and it's been, I know, I think I think 15 months now he's been fighting for his disability claim through the VA. I know he did at least two combat tours, a uh, very highly decorated veteran. I think he made the rank of E7, and now, you know, he's got bladder cancer, and he's having to deal with all that. He doesn't have a claim through the VA, so he's not getting paid by them, and, I mean, he's about to lose everything he's got just trying to pay the doctor bills, so... That's sad. It's terrible. I mean, because nobody, nobody had to make him go. Mm. We he have went. a volunteer basis. Right. This great country has a volunteer and, military. Yes. And then he comes back, and then he can't get what he was promised, and that makes me and what he earned. Yeah. Not only always what you're promised, but what you're earned, what you've earned, earned in blood. Right. Yep. And it just makes me angry, and that's why I get involved in veterans affairs yes you do and I that's you've you been a great asset to wear the 22 valve just wanted to say thank you for that oh, earlier no problem. You've and dave is asset. too dave, dave dave is an awesome asset he's a great guy man yeah i can't say enough we love you dave happy birthday, happy birthday dave. you're listening which you're probably not <laughs> he's probably not he's like this is work so. like, i'm drinking <laughs> no <laughs> i don't know if he's drinking or not yeah, but i don't, don't think he drinks about dave. <laughs> i don't think dave drinks i don't think he does either um well i think that we have, what, 10 more minutes left of the segment? Okay, so I've got time. So what do you think, I want to ask you this, about yeah. these school shootings? Yeah. Being that you're a veteran. Yes, ma'am. I have in my mind that, that was, that's the whole solution, besides having teachers who are armed what with concealed carry. Having veterans come to the schools as volunteers, which wouldn't, you know, mess them up at all. And if they're wanting to, not make them, you know, but as not just not like, you know, how they have resource officers. Well, those resource officers, they also come with they have to have funding to have the resource officers. But I think it would be useful to have trained military guys 
not in your combat uniform and stuff like that school, because yes. because that would make the kids they, they're like well that would make the kids you know it would it would be what's that word state um i don't know anyway snowflake. you know what I'm I, talking. I, military I'm, state. sorry yeah military I, state. I said snowflake but yeah. anyway. <laughs> snowflake. <laughs> well yeah that's what they've done they've made yeah. it they've made it to where everyone thinks that everyone but on the right thinks that guns are bad and they're going to kill people but they don't kill well, people Val, unless there's it, somebody there behind is, the trigger it is proven if you do not raise your gun upright and not <laughs> treat it the way it should be treated then it could turn on you one it day can, it, it can could, i yeah. like a pit bull yeah it's just, <laughs> just like that actually uh no Val, i'm gonna have to disagree with you on that and here's Here's why I don't think that anyone wants, and I'm not, and again, and when I say this, I'm going to walk a very thin line right here because I've dealt with the stigma, so I'm not trying to of being push a veteran. it out. Being a veteran, yes, and being a combat veteran in particular, yes, in my personal opinion, I think we are the best suited for it. We've already laid our lives on line, and I guarantee you if there was gunfire, we'd be running towards it, and me or any of the veterans that I'm aware of. So, however, in my humble personal opinion, I would have to disagree with you, and I would actually personally probably say that the most effective route would be to give every state to have every teacher able to conceal carry and to offer them for free any training that they had they need in that area and encourage them to get it. Because here's the thing about security, tactically, you can put – I can have all the security officers in the world and things like that, but unless you've got a guy on every corner, then you're not going to be able to actively protect that school. However, there is a teacher in every classroom. True. So if that if every teacher or even a third of them had a weapon on them, then you would have somebody in the area with a weapon. And I'll tell you what, in my opinion, I think if that football coach who so heroically gave his life protecting those kids had had a pistol the other day, there would have been a lot less, lot less loss of life. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Because that man went in – shielded those kids with his body and had he had a gun i guarantee you he would have defended them so yeah i mean, I mean he because, yeah, he, so yeah. I'm saying, there's your proof in my opinion right there that man ran into the gunfire had he had a weapon had he been allowed to carry a weapon he could have saved a lot of kids that day instead of just losing his life doing it so well, like i was saying you know one of the teachers said she had to lock 19 kids and herself in a closet yeah come on yeah, yeah. That's now, just, now you're that's not crazy. And I mean, even in combat, I mean, you have guys that that when they get over there, they're trained, they're infantry. And I mean, I know, of, I knew of a guy who, when we got over there, we took fire the first time. He dropped in the turret and didn't want to engage. You know, that's going to happen. So not every teacher who may have a concealed carry is going to want to engage. However, there will be a few. There will be sheep dogs in that mix, and they will come out. They will protect those kids. I guarantee you in the moment. So you may not know who it is. Heroes are always. Normally, a, well, they are normally a surprise in the in the heat of the moment. But, but and you're not giving them the opportunity to show that they could be that for those kids. Well, they have you're no, putting them in there as sitting ducks. Well, like, exactly. That's shooting. what I was going to say. I think the worst, in my opinion, the worst deal about it is they have no way to defend themselves. No. They are literally. And yes. here's the thing. Do you not here and here and we were in Iraq. When we were in Iraq, we were. Oh, wait, turn this off. We're going to take a quick break. Sorry. That's all right. We'll come back here in a second and we'll finish up uh, with Michael. Right back. Hey, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Emmons. I'm filling in for Dave today while he celebrates his birthday. He's only 21 today. <laughs> um, so, Michael Brooks from We Are The 22s in the studio with me. And we were talking about yesterday's shooting and the things that I guess we would consider a solution. We disagree on uh, veterans being the solution to the school shooting problem, like having them patrol. But... You were saying that when you were in Iraq. That- well, I was talking about I was talking about the idea of okay, if you if you were to take volunteer veterans and, and arm them and put them in a school, you would have to deal with the public not wanting combat veterans armed around their kids. You'd want to, and then they would have to deal with the actual tactical scenario of no matter 
unless you were wanting to have an armed veteran at the end of every hallway, would right. be the only way to actually have an effective security force just because. But what you do have is teachers in every classroom. Now, if they were armed and trained, then you would have in every classroom, you would have someone to defend the kids. Now, as it stands, they're not able to be armed. And so anyone wanting to go do a shooting at a school like that, the, this, this, kid who wanted to be a professional school shooter then you know that ain't nobody there nobody on that campus has a gun right except for maybe one security officer and they're going to be in their office and you know it's gonna take them forever to get there so in iraq we were taught how to make ourselves look like hard targets we didn't want to roll down the street in our humvees and have all of our gunners sitting down in the truck and the guns just up there flapping because that's what we considered a soft target. We wanted every gunner up behind their gun, looking tense, looking, you know, making it look like we we're bristling with weapons, right? Now, a school can't do that, but if everyone knew that every one of those teachers had a right. weapon behind them or could potentially have one, it would suddenly make that school less of a soft target. Yeah. And uh, it would it would make it less appealing to people, the cowards who do these types of acts. And that is a that is a fact. And I do not understand why people can't get that myself. I mean. I don't understand it either. I mean, that's like a, the mall. It, where it, do shootings happen? It, it, in movie theaters. Where there's there, posted no Everywhere that there's not going to be a gun. Right. Because those people are generally cowards and they do not want to have anybody fighting back. So in those scenarios, the only way to make a, a target harder is to harden the target. Put guns in there and let it be known they're in there and that makes it less of a chance that somebody's gonna be like you know what i can go in there shoot 50 kids before that uh security officer makes it all the way across campus to, to engage me or the cops get here instead they're gonna be thinking well if i go in there every single classroom in there can have a gun so every time every step i take could be taking a hit so they're probably not going to want to do that as much not saying it would stop it but it would definitely make it less of a thing i think if that happened so yeah no i mean i agree and i think we're preaching to the choir because pretty much everyone that listens to the show oh yeah your fans are great yeah Yeah. usually understands that uh, more guns less crime exactly that's what john dr lott i mean one of my past guests uh wrote the book Criminals and, and ca- criminals and cowards, as a general rule, want a soft target. Target. You make yourself not such a soft target, then you're going to be less likely to be a victim. So that's my opinion. So you're trying to you tried to explain that to me the other day about open carry too, but that's a conversation for another day because we day. disagree on that yes, too. We do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think, like me, I think that someone's going to take you, try to take you out if they see you have a gun, and you feel. That this was a conversation for another day. Ah, <laughs> I'm trying to fill the. No, fill no. Okay, the... okay, okay, okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me be game here. All right. Okay. My opinion: If a coward slash bad guy wants to do something bad, and they go into a building, let's say they run into your local Burger King, and they start shooting, and they because here's the thing: is that even this kid who was 19 years old when he scouted that school, he knew what he was doing before he went in. They almost always do. They scout the location they're going to hit. Okay, that's just the thing. They they scope it out. So, in my humble opinion, if you have a bad guy slash coward and they go into, let's say, your local Burger King, and they look around and there's 10 people in there and five of them have an open, visible pistol sitting there on their hip, that whole building right there, that whole room, is all of a sudden not a soft target. Now, if they go in there and they don't see a single gun, now, it doesn't mean that there won't be a gun in there because, of course, people can still conceal carry, but... You're running, I think, in my opinion, if you're visibly pull, packing, you're going to be less of a soft target. You're going to be less, you're going to make it less of an of a of a thing for that guy to want to go in there. If he can go in there and see five pistols, you know what I mean? If he runs in there and sees no pistols, then yeah, he's running the chance that one person might have one. But if he sees five, well then, you know, 
He knows there's five in there. He may not want to hit that place. Well, that's true. May go on I down mean, the just one though. Like if I'm just open carrying. Yeah. Well, your one pistol may be what deters that guy from the building you're in, who would make him go down the street to another building. So you know what I mean. True. That I may, get that, that too. That may be the thing. I get that too. Yep. So I always carry regardless, one way or the other. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, uh, and we'll talk more about. Uh, the stuff of the day. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. And we are back on the Dave Ellswick Show. <laughs> and we, are, if, you're, if you're just now tuning in, we are on Facebook Live right now as well. It's this new camera system that we have set up in the studio. If you haven't been watching Dave, uh, now's a good time. I just shared it on my Facebook page as well. Uh, you can go to www.facebook.com backslash Val Emmons. But don't do that if you're driving. If you're driving, we don't want you watching TV while you're driving down the road. So don't do not do that now. Wait till you get home to watch that. So maybe you haven't heard about this next story that I'm going to talk about. because But this is one of the biggest things. And actually, and, and Russ... I know you're not listening to me, Russ, because Zach's in there shaking his hand like Guido. What are you? <laughs> if he wasn't laughing, I was thinking he was ranting. And I've never seen Zach rant. <laughs> but so so whenever Dave and I first met, he 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 read one of the articles that I had written about food stamps. And people actually spending their money on booze and cigarettes and the lottery. And then us paying for their food. And Dave liked that story. So he asked me to come on a show and talk about it. And that's how our relationship started back in, gosh, about five years ago. Over at the, that other channel. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so, so I, I was so thrilled to see yesterday the story come up on NPR um, even yes, NPR, I know that, but, but this is going around and Trump, his proposal to redo the food stamp debacle that we have in this country, the food stamp program at, it's called SNAP, which stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And that first word there, it means supplemental means just what it means. Supplemental. It doesn't mean entirety doesn't mean your whole entire meals are covered by this program it just means supplemental it's a supplement it's part of um so the program these days since obama was in office uh, has about 42 million people on it and they get to use a debit card rather than physical food stamps like we used to buy 
Um, they still have the capability to sell their food stamp card for money, so that didn't cut that out by making them not have to use food stamps. It did cut the stigma out, though. Not ha- I remember those paper food stamps. Um, I, you know, we used to see them in the stores back, I guess, 20 years ago, because I haven't seen them in a long time. I think they still send them to you if you're, like, an emergency, maybe. I don't know. But the Urban Institute found that 8.4 million fewer people were in poverty in 2015 because of the program. Now, when you say poverty these days, it's not the same as when you look at a kid in Ethiopia. When you're talking about poverty in America. It's not the same thing. When I go to the grocery store and I see someone paying with food stamps, and they're obese, and they're buying a bunch of junk with their food stamps, it makes me wonder, so if they're on food stamps, am I also paying for their health care? So is the food stamps that I'm allowing them to buy this junk with contributing to their expensive health care? So that's just one thing, okay? However, we had a 28% drop in the number of children that were in poverty, which is good because the children can't help it. In fact, sometimes I think that children like a 12 years and up should get their own food stamp card so their idiot parents who are idiots uh, that sell them for whatever don't get their hands on them, and the kid actually gets food. But it's reduced poverty of people living in non-metropolitan areas by 24% and families with a working adult by 21% and the non-Hispanic blacks by 21%. The Urban Institute found that another 1 million people would be lifted out of poverty if all eligible households participated. So that just means that we have more people eligible that don't choose to participate and suck off of the government for reasons which, I mean, could be they don't want the intrusion. Could be that they have integrity. Could be that, you know, they get by. Households receiving $90 per month, uh, the Trump administration has revealed during the budget that they are looking to deliver food directly to households instead of allowing the SNAP recipients to buy the food they choose. This isn't a bill yet. This has been nowhere. This is just something that's been tossed around. But households receiving $90 a month or more would get a portion of uh, their food in in shelf-stable milk, ready-to-eat cereals, pasta, peanut butter, beans, canned fruit, vegetables, and meat, poultry, or fish. The remainder of the benefit would go onto a debit card for use at the approved grocery stores, which you could buy your uh, fruits and vegetables with because those are perishable, obviously. You don't want to send those to the house boxed up. So the Department of Agriculture says that what it calls the harvest box proposal would cut in half the retail cost of those items. A similar government program on a far smaller scale already exists called the Commodity Supplemental Food Program. That program gets high marks on nutrition and quality of food, but has been difficult to administer and relies on volunteers. The Food Marketing Institute represents retailers with combined annual sales of nearly $800 billion dollars said the White House proposal would increase cost. Now I want you to think about that. We've got 42 million American households on food stamps. How much of that income do you think is going? I mean, I mean, how much? How? Okay, let's put this a different way. How much of the net profit 
on grocers, manufacturers, uh, soda manufacturers, chips, hostess. How much money of taxpayers do these corporations get by way of food stamps? I want you think about that because it's corporate welfare at its finest. Everyone wants to, this, this program is disguised to help the poor, but it's really corporate, corporate welfare, which is why you can't dictate what you can buy with food stamps because those guys, the grocery lobbies, the manufacturing lobbies, they've all lobbied to make sure that nobody can put a nutrition value, not value, I guess, but a Nobody can say what's nutritious or isn't in terms of food stamps, but I think that's crap. We do it with WIC, um, the WIC program for women, infants, and children. We tell them what they can buy and what's nutritious or not on that program, and anyone can get that program. Whether no, You don't have to be poor. You can just go and sign up for that program. But the NPR article suggests that Trump, the Trump administration wants to decide what food stamp SNAP recipients to get. In the proposal, it was announced Monday for low-income Americans that receive at least $90. So just over 80% of all the SNAP recipients would get about half their benefits in the form of these USDA food packages. But then you have the logistic nightmare of how do you get those packages to the, to the folks because that's going to cost money as well. Um. To me, the problem with the food stamps is that I, I think it's ridiculous that, for instance, I'm going to go to my food, pa- uh, my food page, <laughs> my Facebook page. I'm going to go to my food page, Russ. I'm going to go to my Facebook page, and I'm going to pull up some of the comments that some of the people who are conservatives on my page, you would think twice in thinking that because their comments are so crazy. It's like you're taking away their freedom of choice. Okay, you don't have freedom of choice when you're getting taxpayer dollars. You have freedom of choice when you go out and spend your own money on your own groceries. To me. I'm sorry, I'm not being ugly to anyone, but I've seen people go to the grocery store buying lobsters with my own two eyes with my tax dollars when I don't buy lobsters for dinner. I've seen them buy steaks. You know, I was on food stamps once when I was in college. I had two kids. I did things the wrong way, you know. I had kids, and then I wanted to decide I want to go to school. I also worked two jobs. I worked at the TV station, and then I also worked as a waitress. And it still wasn't enough. So I had my two boys. I got like, it wasn't a whole lot. I got a little bit. You know what I bought with it? Macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, things like that. Things that actually lasted. Not steaks and, you know, you go in and you got someone with the Long fingernails, uh, iPhone 10 or whatever it is now. I don't even know which iPhone it is anymore. Uh, and then they're paying with food stamps. And you're like, okay, I'm paying for your necessities while you spend your own money on your wants. So if you can come up with the money to buy an iPhone, why am I paying for your groceries? And at the same time, If you can buy cigarettes and monster drinks, I'm I'm sorry, cigarettes, booze, lottery tickets, why should you be able to, why should I have to buy your food? I just don't think that that 
has been addressed. And I hope that Trump will get to that because I was really excited to see that actually something was going to be done about this. And I don't think it's a bad idea. I remember when my grandpa used to get commodities. I mean, that cheese was good. It was, Russ. Don't look at me like that. That cheese was the bomb. I would look forward to getting hey, that cheese. I was at Boy Scout camp. They were giving us government cheese and canned peanut butter. Canned? And it was good. Canned peanut butter or jar? Canned. Oh, that's right, because you popped the top off. The- Number 10 yeah, can of peanut butter. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, and it was white. For the, you'd get that for the troop. And Well, we used to get the tubs. Do you remember the tubs of peanut butter they give you? They no. were white. But I mean, I mean, I mean, I still see cups of peanut butter when I go up to the uh, the the local hospital incarceration wing. But really, well, you know, that's where I was at over the weekend. Oh, right. I was incarcerated in Baptista. So. <laughs> you were incarcerated. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I found myself every once in a while wanting a snack. So they'd bring me. Graham crackers and peanut butter, and it's peanut butter in the little bitty cups, not the not not the bigger cups, but the the little bitty ones. And no, I mean the tub surf. with the handle. Do you remember the peanut butter tubs with the handle? Man, that stuff was so good. It wasn't like Jif or anything. No, it was good stuff. But there was nothing wrong with commodities. You got rice. You got peanut butter. That's your protein. You got cheese. You got dry milk. You could cook with. Uh, what else? Beans. Staples. Absolutely the staples. Prob- the problem is is that people don't want to get their butts up off out of bed to go and pick up their the food that they say they want. They just want to get it and go to the grocery store and buy monster drinks and ho-hos and ding-dongs and junk. Junk. That makes them not very healthy, in my opinion. But anyway, so I hope that the Department of Agriculture... Uh, can can pull this out and actually put it into a formal proposal because this they're saying that this will cut in half the retail cost of all these items and the sim, uh, similar government program on a far smaller scale already exists called the I was just telling you the commodity supplemental food program that and it gets high it gets high marks on the nutrition and it's been going on for a long time uh, honey that was the other thing you got with it honey and you know why you got honey with it I'm gonna tell you because the government had stockpiles of honey. And it was, there was a gun back in Vietnam. One of the guns. Dang it. See, I didn't look this up. I didn't come prepared. But they used the honey. It wouldn't fire right. And so they used the honey to get it to work correctly. And so the government had stockpiles of honey because, because that's what they used. So now they, they gave it away with the commodities. You can look that up. There's more in detail, obviously, than what I have just put out. Um, but I, I thought I'd come across that one day, and I thought that was pretty interesting information. Russ, have you seen what Trump's going to do with his third quarter uh his third quarter earnings? I saw something about that. I'm I can't remember exactly what it was, but I saw something about it. Donald Trump is going to na- uh donate, I'm sorry, his fourth quarter salary to the Department of Transportation. He uh donated his fourth quarter 2017 paycheck to the Department of Transportation, demonstrating his commitment to public infrastructure. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders presented the $100,000 check to the Transportation Secretary Elaine Cho in the daily press briefing on Tuesday. Cho said that Donald Trump's quarterly salary would go to the department's NFRA, Infrastructure for Rebuilding America, grant programs. He's making 400000 a year? Yeah. 
He gives it all away. Like every quarter. No, every quarter he gives it away. No, it's like 400. Mm-hmm. I every, thought the presidential salary was only 200,000. gone up since then maybe i'm wrong then i i all i know well, is i have to go look that up <laughs> maybe he gets maybe that's like his last check or something maybe i don't know but i know he's he last quarter he donated it in the the one before that and so he's been donating his money every quarter to some i know before that it was to the opioid crisis i think that's pretty pretty nifty you know and that's to me okay so that is what hoover did that's why a lot of people don't like Hoover or didn't think that he was a good president. I did because he was a businessman. He may have been a, a Quaker, but I'll let that slide. Uh, but he was a businessman, and he knew that if you got a society dependent on welfare, that they would continue to be dependent on welfare. And what happened after he lost, based on this theory, to FDR? The New Deal. And food stamps and welfare and Social Security, which I don't have a problem with Social Security. It's just the way that it's done. Um, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we'll talk about some more uh, interesting topics. <laughs> we'll be right back. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons filling in for Dave Ellswick. And later today in a little bit, I think Jim Sorvillo is going to join us. Uh, I was up at the Capitol yesterday and <laughs> here in Little Rock and I was talking with some of the state representatives and um as i was talking i was talking with david meeks and as i was talking with him he was like yeah somebody walked by and they're like, don't you have to go to your your harassment training today <laughs> your sexual harassment training so yeah they have they had a uh, sexual harassment training now for our senators in the arkansas state legislature and all but a dozen Arkansas House members attended that voluntary course on sexual harassment this week that uh, the legislative leaders offered in response to a wave of high-profile misconduct cases nation- nationwide. 87 of our House's 99 members here in Little Rock attended a course that was offered throughout the day on Wednesday, according to a sign-in sheets released by the chamber. A spokeswoman for the House said that the other 12 members of the chamber are scheduled to attend a makeup course being offered next week. House Speaker Jeremy Gillum said he believed the turnout showed that members would attend training without it being mandatory. I think based on the turnout, he said yes, uh, we had yesterday, it's proving members are going to respond to any kind of training that will help them be better at their jobs. I think we're still in a good area with making a voluntary option. And um, now it's only been 20, might I feel differently about it. So a 50-state review by the Associated Press last month found that about a third of state legislative chambers across the country do not require lawmakers to just participate in sexual harassment training. The Arkansas House passed the $2,500 to Cross Gunter, Witherspoon, and Galkas PC to conduct the training sessions during the abbreviated fiscal session that began this week. Gillum said he hoped the training would be added to the orientation House members received before each regular session. The roughly 90-minute session detailed the House policy on sexual harassment and examples of what would be considered sexual harassment. According to a copy of the training materials released by the House, members said that the training also included details on how to report sexual harassment and how to complain, uh, how the complaints are investigated. It didn't make us fearful. It just made us remember to be respectful of each other. Ugh. If you don't know what sexual harassment is by now and you are in the state house, 
something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. If you're married and you know you shouldn't be sexually harassing your secretary, something's wrong. All right. We're going to take another break and we'll be right back. And we're back on the day of Ellswick show. And uh, in a little bit, we'll have Jim Servillo come in. He's going to tell us what all has been going on at the Capitol uh, this week because the fiscal session is going down. So he's going to give us the heads up on what's going on, what we should look at, things that are important. Um, and we'll go from there. So the Senate, apparently, in Washington was set to begin voting today at 2.30 on a series of immigration bills aimed at giving legal protections to young undocumented immigrants. Only one of the four measures has won the support of the Trump administration. And in the run-up to the vote, senators were not expressing confidence that any of the Dreamer bills would win enough votes to clear procedural hurdles. Well, so that didn't happen today. The Dreamers are not going to have any good news today. And that's sad. I mean, I I feel bad for the Dreamers because I don't think that they should be shipped back to a country they don't even know. But at the same time, you keep letting people bring their kids over here and giving the kids amnesty. Well, what's going to happen? We're going to be over flooded with illegals. I don't think that we should give amnesty. I think there should be a I think that the idea that they had with the 12 years is a little bit too long for the people that have already been here and have already integrated into our our culture. I think it's a 12 years is a little bit too much and probably the cost is not going to be cheap either. Um it's been a, a breaking news that well, it's about 30 minutes ago, but we had guests in the studio. But the teenager accused of using a semi-automatic rifle to kill 17 people at a Florida high school has confessed to carrying out one of the nation's deadliest school shootings and concealing extra ammunition in his backpack, according to a sheriff's department report released today. The report from the Broward County Sheriff's Office said that the shooter told investigators that he shot students in the hallways on the grounds and on the grounds of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, north of Miami. He told officers he bought more loaded magazines to the school and kept them hidden in the backpack until he got on campus. As students began to flee, he said he decided to discard his AR-15 rifle and a vest he was wearing so he could blend in with the crowd. Police recovered the rifle and the vest. A day after the attack, a fuller portrait emerged of the suspect. A loner who had worked at a dollar store joined the school's ROTC program and posted photos of weapons on Instagram. At least one of the students said classmates joked that he would be the one to shoot up the school. Nice. The suspect, a 19-year-old orphan whose mother died last year, was charged with murder Thursday in an attack on the school in this sleepy community on the edge of the Everglades. It was the nation's deadliest school attack since the gunman assaulted an elementary school in Newton, Connecticut, more than five years ago. We all remember that. Meanwhile, students struggled to describe uh, the violence that ripped through their classroom on an ordinary day just before classes were to be dismissed. Um, among the dead, a football coach who also worked as a security guard a senior who planned to attend Lynn University, an athletic director who was an active in his Roman Catholic church. 
Some bodies remained inside the school today, even as authorities analyzed the crime scene. Thirteen wounded survivors were still hospitalized, including two in critical condition. Authorities have not described any specific motive except to say that Cruz had been kicked out of the high school, which has about 3,000 students, and serves an affluent suburb where the median home price is nearly $600,000. Students who knew him described a volatile teenager whose strange behavior had caused others to end friendships with him. He was ordered today held without bond at a brief court hearing. He wore an orange jumpsuit with his hands cupped at his waist. His attorney did not contest the order and had her arm around him during the short appearance. Afterwards, she called him a broken human being and added that she had to have the exact same conversation that every parent in Broward County had to have with their children this morning. Wednesday's shooting was the 17th incident of gunfire at the American uh, at an American school this year. Of the 17 incidents, one involved a suicide, two involved active shooters who were killed who killed students, two involved people killed in arguments, and three involved people who were shot but survived. Nine involved no injuries at all. As the criminal case began to take shape, President Trump addressed the nation. He promised to tackle the difficult issues of mental health. Um, didn't mention anything of guns, which he shouldn't. He shouldn't. The answer is not to ban more guns. That's not the answer. The answer is to acknowledge when someone sends you information about a kid that is posting pictures of machine guns on their social media pages because the FBI was warned back in September about this alleged, uh, well, he's now confessed, so it's not alleged anymore. He's confessed. So the shooter, nearly five months ago, uh, Tipster says that he contacted the FBI in September about a possible school shooting threat from a YouTube user with the same name as the suspect. In Wednesday's campus massacre in Parkland, Florida. According to a video blogger, uh, ben Bennett, Benite, the 36-year-old YouTuber uh, from Mississippi, noticed in September an alarming comment on a video he'd posted. He told CNN he immediately, this is from CNN's page, I'm sorry. He told CNN immediately contacted the FBI. I'm going to be a professional school shooter, read the comment left by a user with the name, the same as the suspected shooter who opened fire at the high school yesterday killing 17 people a law enforcement official has uh, told cnn earlier thursday that the fbi had received two reports regarding potential threats from the shooter two reports but later today a separate law enforcement official said authorities believe they only received one report i'm sorry you only received one report (laughs) regarding the comment on youtube the investigation is in its early stages And information could change as leads are investigated, yes. But the FBI did not share the information with the local law enforcement, which is the problem. And I thought that this was why we have organizations like the FBI and the NSA, was to prevent instances 
like this from happening. So if you're not going to prevent these instances of, from happening, why are you spying on the American public, first of all? And secondly, why didn't you prevent this, this when it was clearly all over this man's, or this, well, he's a man, he's 19. He was all over this man's social media sites. You're telling me that, are you, so you're saying you're watching the people you want to watch and not the ones that people let you know you should be watching, NSA, FBI. Uh, according to this tipster, agents from the FBI field offices in Mississippi contacted him and came to his office to conduct an in-person interview the next morning. He told the agents he didn't know anything about the user. That was the last contact he had with the FBI until yesterday. The FBI special agent in charge of the Miami division uh, confirmed yes, to this morning that the Bureau received a tip last year about the YouTube comment. That was September, not just a year ago. It was September, like four months ago, five months ago. No other information was included with the comment, which would indicate a time, location, or the true identity of the person who made the comment. Uh, the FBI conducted database reviews, checks, but was unable to further identify the person who actually made the comment. Oh. Okay, all you had to do was go ask this guy. But you didn't do that but once. The YouTube comment and uh, the tipster's efforts to alert the FBI were first reported uh, today by BuzzFeed News. Yesterday, after the suspect was arrested, the tipster got a call from an agent in the FBI's Miami field office who wanted to follow up on the September incident. A few hours later, FBI agents from Mississippi office paid him another visit. Uh, he says he saw the story kind of go across his nude feed, but he didn't pay a whole lot of attention. And when the FBI said it was the same name, the first thing that went through his mind was, wow, I hope you were at least watching this guy that I alerted you to a month ago or months ago. It's very difficult in this online world to narrow down who does what without more information. Unfortunately... He says he wasn't able to provide them with much. Okay, we have the NSA, people. If you seriously want to stop and prevent deaths, that's what you need to be using. You don't need to be surveilling American people just because you want to, like Donald Trump's entourage. You need to be surveilling real threats to our people, our children, and our liberty. And you're not doing that. And that's probably why yesterday, I'm just going to go out and say this, like, I don't have any empathy for anyone that works at the NSA. And I don't, I don't wish harm on anyone, but I don't have any empathy for you. Uh, two of the men who were arrested uh, yesterday at Fort Meade, where the driver of an SUV attempted to enter the NSA compound, have been released. And the third has been handed over to the Howard County Sheriff's Office, said the FBI. The driver of the SUV, an NSA police officer, and a civilian bystander were injured in the incident, which happened shortly before 7 a.m. at Gate 1 on K-9 Road off Maryland Route 32. The investigation is ongoing, but they don't see that it being a nexus to terrorism. The FBI Baltimore Field Office spokesman David Fitz said in a statement, Javante Brown... 
24 of Washington, was turned over to the Howard County Sheriff's Office Wednesday evening on an active warrant for unpaid child support. That's it? (laughs) No phone number was listed for Brown's address. He was expected to be released Thursday, today. The FBI did not release the names or ages of the other men, and the agency did not provide any updates on the injured people's conditions. Fitz said he did not expect to provide a second update today. So the NSA was uh, impeded upon yesterday at Fort Meade. And the suspects were released, except for one. To me, like I said, I don't have any empathy for anybody that works at the NSA. You know what you're doing. You know what the NSA is. You know you're surveilling American citizens. So, I mean, maybe it was, if it wasn't a terrorist plot, that's then, you know, let's get over it. I'm just, have you, have you guys looked at this guy? The shooter in the school? It just, he looks creepy. Of course he looks creepy. But I really don't care to look at him right now. Well, I just, a big old picture just, he just looks like he's eager for that judge just to, to give him his fate so that he can go write his first book. <laughs> I mean, who says they want to be a, professional school shooter that's i'm sorry guys adhd i've moved on <laughs> so i thought then speaking of massacres so after the texas massacre uh this was released on monday the military rushed to add more than four thousand to the gun ban list four thousand since an ex-U.S. airman shot more than two dozen people in a Texas church in November, the U.S. military has added more than 4,000 names to the nation's list of dishonorably discharged military personnel banned from owning firearms, a sign of what has been a massive hole in the nation's gun-buying background check system. So, Nancy Pelosi, you can have as many laws as you want to ban guns and take away our Second Amendment right, but if you don't enforce those laws, then how are they going to work? How about you look at the laws we already have on the books and understand that the only thing that's going to combat gun crimes is a gun, is having a gun or taking care of people's mental health. I mean, that's the only thing that's going to combat this. Put weapons in the hands of good people. But anyway, this is a sign of what's been a massive hole in the nation's gun-buying background check system. The gunman in the Sutherland Springs massacre had been kicked out of the military for assaulting his wife by federal law. Uh, That should have prevented him from purchasing a semi-automatic rifle. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have more to share. And we are back on the Dave Ellswick Show. I have a special guest in the studio with me that I haven't seen in a while. I have Jim Sorvillo, state rep. What's your district again? That's West Little Rock. That's 32, West yeah. Little Rock. Yes. You're my, you're, so you're my representative again. Yeah, that's the best district. In yes, the it is. <laughs> I love West Little Rock. Um, so I brought you in today because we were both at the Capitol yesterday, and, and it's a fiscal session this year. So there's still stuff going on, even in a fiscal session. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of, some people don't pay attention to that. But I wanted uh, to get your take on some of the things like uh, the highways example we were just talking about that because i know that's a big deal um and just some of the things that you see that you think are going to go okay and smoothly <laughs> and maybe some of those things that we're going to have a roadblock for always be prepared for the unknown yes unknown. 
affected. Um, highways is, and I, I've sat on transportation, so it's, you know, dear to me. And I think there's, you know, so many sidebars to our issues that a lot of times they don't get the headlines. And, and the thing about transportation is that economic, that, that means to me economic development. Right. And if you're going to have economic development, companies look for that infrastructure infrastructure mm-hmm. and 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 we've been blessed if you think we have two interstates that go north and south east mm-hmm. and west we have a navigational system we've got an airport so we have all the things um i think to continue to grow uh why aren't we and i think there was just in the paper the other day why we haven't really attracted warehousing and if you look right. at if, if you've been in memphis you see the just the enormous amount and, of course, everybody knows the story about FedEx. FedEx, yes. Yeah. Um, and so part of, uh, I think part of that reason uh, about warehousing will certainly be uh, how we tax. And basically you're talking about inventories that are being taxed. Sure. And so forth. So those are, you know, those are issues. But once again, um, that is going to be an important um, process of us continuing to see the economic development. And as you know, we're, we have been bringing in new businesses, and, and mm-hmm. uh, ironically, many of them are from China, but once again, <laughs> they do employ our people, employ right. our people, and, and so forth. Uh, so uh, the concern I have, uh, one, you know, we're going to use surplus, and out of that surplus, the, the highway department will get 25% of that surplus, and those those monies go to the matching fund. And so if we can't, if we can't meet the match, then we lose it all. So that's a big that's a big challenge. Wow. Yeah. So that's why there's been some real conversation on, um, you know, governor setting back um, x amount of dollars, and we're I think um, we've looked at in the nineteenth two thousand nineteen budget. I think he said that we set back sixteen seventeen million dollars towards that goal, but we our fiscal. Uh, session will end, or our fiscal year will end at end of June. The federal government from the transportation, the transportation trust fund and all that will end uh, July. And so, in essence, we want to make sure that we can meet that surplus and have that money available to be able to get that matching fund. Yeah, that's because important. We have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of projects. And if they're not going to be, even though they've been approved, if they're we don't have the funding, and that's how appropriations are a little bit different. We appropriate, right. but if you don't have the funds, then you're not able to, um, you know, perform that, whatever that is. And okay. so, Well, we'll talk more about that as soon as we come right back. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Steven. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at jurist.com. 
Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. And we are back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons sitting in for Dave today as he celebrates his 21st birthday. <laughs> and I've got Jim Cervillo in the studio with me, uh, who is my representative in West Little Rock, my state representative. Um, we were talking before the break about economic development and that being some of the reason that some of these businesses don't come in um, because we don't have a bad infrastructure. We don't here in, in Little Rock anyway. I don't know about the... I know the rest of the state's been working on it, like Fayetteville. They've just yeah. exploded, and their infrastructure just was for a little while ugh, hard to get through. But here, I think it's great because I lived in Baton Rouge for a couple of years before coming back, and you couldn't get somewhere across town because of the influx of people after Katrina. Mm-hmm. This infrastructure is not set up for that, and you can't even get down the street in 10 minutes. I mean, it's just crazy. Where here, I come back to Little Rock, and I'm like, ah! can actually go somewhere in five minutes you know <laughs> yeah well we have a lot of uh you know construction in north uh, east arkansas jonesboro we right. have that new i-555 um the, that's been a long time coming it has been and of course you know in um the jacksonville area now mm-hmm. that we're going to be seeing the that. tunnel of death is what they call it yeah if you've driven there you, <laughs> yeah. you probably appreciate the that. funnel of yeah. death i'm yeah. sorry and then of course we have um is it 49 down mm-hmm. south going so we've got some really good opportunities for those Rural areas, and one of the things that the high de- highway department wants to do is be able to have uh, connectors to those major intersections so that you do have, um, you know, you have like the access. Yeah, you have those access mm-hmm. to those more rural areas. One of the things that's really important, we spoke about this just the other day, about these rural roads, because what, what our real challenge is is that many of these uh, rural roads have been given back to the state. And as you know, Arkansas has more state highways than the state of California. Now, certainly California has a lot more interstates, but so we have a tremendous amount of highways that we have to keep up with. But one of the things we're talking about with the rural roads, why they're so important, because we're an agricultural state. Right. And so you've got that transport of, uh, you know, of of materials there. So that's that's interesting. I think the other thing, as we were talking about, uh, the new funding, which is going to be is is um, the matched funding that you're the match funding yeah it's going to be actually it's going to be real significant because one of the things on the new match funds the the numbers have uh, switched over but there will be if you meet uh, revenue um, uh, requirements in uh, in highways then what you're going to do is be eligible for this money from the federal government. And where we used to have 20% uh, our part, 80% their part, that it's going to reverse, where we're going to have to come up with 80%. Now, that's that's a big step. Wow. But here's the, here's the real uh, issue there. If we can um, increase the revenue stream mm-hmm. for our highways, then we fall into this, what I just call is a, a big pot. And that money will be available to states that have been able to um, – bring resources to their highways right and with that that's a 10-year plan and with that then you will submit those projects and they'll go down in a pecking order and look at it and and make those improvements and so it's really going to be a lot more discretion from the federal government than what we have right now but once again we can make it work 
Um, how do we do that? How do we increase funding? For that's highways? that's the thing, and that's the big thing right now. What are some of the discussion points on how we get that revenue? Well, I really believe. Well, first of all, what we have to do the surplus is a key thing because right. we get twenty, as I said, twenty five percent of the surplus, and that goes into the matching fund. Um, so. Um, hopefully revenue streams continue to go, but I think long-term, and I do think in the next legislative session in, in 19 that you will see this uh, quest again for um, the um, sales tax on the wholesale price of fuel. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and and here's the thing. Um, you, you got challenges because the fuel tax is based on um, usage in essence. Mm-hmm. And today... Uh, we have cars that have a greater economic, you know, I mean, what I'm saying, you get more mileage, consumptions, yeah. and then now you've got this, and probably Arkansas will be at the tail end, but you got vehicles that are hybrids, and then you have vehicles that will be electric, which they pay no, I mean, if you don't have, you don't buy fuel, you don't pay taxes. So those are things, kind of a diminishing right. aspect of, even though we have more more miles and more miles that are being traveled mm-hmm. and this is a real challenge when you start to look at these numbers what about tolls pardon me what about toll bird, tolls toll roads well here's your your challenge um a pro- that has to be really done through a private sector okay okay and so who's going to invest in that right because uh, what it takes to re- you know get your return on investment and plus the fact if they're successful mm-hmm. now you go down to florida where i grew up yeah everywhere is whole yeah and and that's not a thing yeah go to dc and all that yep. be, because of just the density of population so i think that i don't see that on the on the drawing board but here's your real challenge when you're looking at as we we talk about highways and economic development um if you have to repair put a two inch asphalt inch of asphalt on one mile mm-hmm. okay it is going to cost you Two hundred thousand dollars. What? One mile, two inches of ass. What we call resurfacing. Everybody's seen that. Okay. Now, if two hundred thousand dollars. Yes, for one one mile of two lanes. Okay. Now, let's say it's deteriorated, uh-huh. and we have to go to the base. So we have to start from scratch again. It's one point five million dollars for that one for mile. one, one mile, mile stretch of road. Yes. So you understand now. Here's the thing: what's so been so important is that we continue to be able to fund maintenance because I want to do the maintenance on that road prior to we have to go into the base because you're talking from two hundred thousand to one point five makes sense. Now they're using things things called chip seal that they're successful, but each environment is different sure. because of the you know climate, the, yeah, the yeah. climate and the ground and all mm-hmm. that. Anyway. But so hopefully that gives our audience a little bit better feel. I mean, I learned all this uh, myself when I came in, and so it gives you a little bit um, better feel. And you know, Arkansas, Arkansas have always been very proactive in in trying to fund highways. Yeah. And so hopefully, look for the surplus. Hopefully that we're going to meet that number, and then with the money that we have in the in the reserve, we're going to meet that match, and and then we'll, like I said, we'll go forward there. But uh, as we were talking a little bit off off here about. We think also the other thing, if you're going to have industrial uh, development, we talk about the roads, but let's talk about economic development. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about the uh, the people that hopefully are going to go to work. Right. Um, and I think one of the things you said that's so important that doesn't come up in the conversation, it, it's skilled labor. Yes, yes. And, you know, if you have 
if you you can have as many businesses come into an area and be interested, but if you if they when you get into that question, how much is your skilled labor force? Mm-hmm. And your answer is well, what is that right now? Do you know what the percent is? Uh, I don't know that we can track that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what the skilled labor number. There's a certain number that they have to give them or whatever. But if it's really low, mm-hmm. then they're they would. I mean, why would you bring a factory here that can't have anyone to operate it? There was an example of that one. It was an automotive factory many years ago. And what they had to do because of the lack of skilled labor, mm-hmm. they were going to have to do instead of a manual that you operate, mm-hmm. they'd have to have what they call pictionary. And that would be basically, it would be pictures showing you how to do this instead of reading. The right. Track. And the manufacturer said, I, we don't want to deal with that. That's too much money. And it's Well, so they forth. don't want to train. They want to come in and have them ready to go. Well, your point about vocational education is a really um, a, a significant thing. I was in uh, I was in West Memphis at uh, the high school or uh, mid south mid south uh, community college. Mm-hmm. One of the, oh, I've been there. Have you in it, West Memphis? Great. That's pretty amazing. It is like they send high school kids out right after college. I mean, I mean, right after high school, working for places like FedEx. Well, I met a young lady. She was a senior. Yeah. Uh, and she had already had her diesel mechanic yeah, certification. That's crazy. And, she had and why job. we don't have something like that here in Little Rock is beyond me. Well, we're working on it. Well, and, I know. I know we Senator, have Metro, yeah, but. Se, se, uh, Senator uh, English has worked really, really hard on workforce services. And so we're, we're working on it. I want to let you know. But, but over there, that was an interesting thing in this particular classroom because we all know welding is, mm-hmm. is, is a well-paying uh, occupation sure. they have a what they call a virtual welder and what that is is basically you put on the headset you know what virtual i mean you right. put it on right. and you do and and then you you're you're doing the welding but you're not guess what you're not burning up resources well and also you're if you're in school uh-huh. there's no liability when you're just doing the virtual exactly and and and, and the other instructors can teaching other mm-hmm. children sure. while they're viewing it and, and they can make the adjustments to the young person is saying you need to change your angle but here's the thing they don't burn up the resources right you know so you, your cost and liability so great so those those innovative thinking of course i think uh, fedex i think they donated a 747 of course i don't think that you want to fly on it but anyway it's, oh that they're, they're working on yeah, yeah i would th- when i was there it was a couple of years ago i went with leadership arkansas uh with the state chamber because I'm an alumni of that that program, which I will push that. I think it's a great program because you get to go around to the state and see the different aspects of the economic development in the state and how different areas handle the different lack or surplus of that development. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were working on helicopters and stuff when I went over there. It was crazy. I'm like, you, these are kids. These are high school mm-hmm. Votech kids coming to work on a helicopter. But do you understand? How that? awesome? Would yeah. that be to go to school? Well, <laughs> yeah, and you know, one of the things, and I've been working here, of course, with our superintendent Michael Poor, who's I, I have a, a great admiration for him, and and the thing is, we're, we're looking at trying to really promote vocate uh, vocational education here, and as we talked about metropolitan uh, vocation uh, in West Southwest Little Rock, um, the good good news is not they're 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 expanding; they're not just doing cosmetology right. like so many people; um, they're doing um, law enforcement, they're doing uh, medical emergencies, they're doing construction, besides the diesel mechanic or mechanics right. and welding and so Which forth. Which is cool stuff. It, well, it's good paying jobs. And, yeah. And the thing is, is that... Right out of high school. Yeah. This year, we have doubled the enrollment 
Wow. And so, and the capacity over there could be uh, enormous. And what we have to do is start to educate parents that these opportunities, they serve 12 different schools, even though that it's in the Little Rock School District. Right. So we have to start to inform the parents the it's these opportunities, as I was telling you, till and die maker over there at Molex, and which is a high tech builds mm-hmm. chips, can can make sixty thousand dollars. Right out of high school. Yeah. And so those are the things, you know, and that improves two things. It improves your life. Starting out right? off the bat. And it improves the our opportunity to as a state because of that revenue we're not paying for you're someone. a taxpayer not a tax taker we're going to take a call we've got andy andy are you there hey hey, hey how are you all oh we're fabulous how are you Outst- I'm, I'm outstanding thank you so much for taking my call you're welcome i'll try to be very very quick try to be and cover this but cover the subject basically for the last 28 years i've sold manufacturing the likes of lockheed the likes of boeing the likes of ford gm toyota mercedes hyundai you name it. I recently moved back to Arkansas, and, and I'm still selling to manufacturers. I've got two points to make. Number one, we have a hub of timber, a hub of defense, and a hub of petrochemical business in South Arkansas. And the Internet connectivity in South Arkansas is simply unacceptable. When you have an executive who comes in from Germany to visit the Lance's facility in El Dorado, he should, he or she should be able to get out of their car if they want to on the way back to the hotel that evening after work. And if they need to send an email with content from their Android or iPhone, they should be able to do that. They can't do that right now. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I've, again, I've been away from here for 28 years. The second thing is this. Automotive manufacturers, they don't make the car anymore. All they do is assemble it, and we, no one in the state will listen to me, but we are missing the boat. In Mississippi and Alabama, you have Tier 1 and Tier 2 manufacturers who make the components for Nissan, for Caterpillar, for Mercedes, for General Motors. It's a vibrant business, and then they supply those components to them, and they assemble it. We should be going after that business right now in arkansas and thanks for hearing me out you're welcome Andy. Well, thank I, you for calling yeah and, and let me uh thank you that, that you certainly i agree with what you're saying and, and i would want to i want to send that message to the governor i'm sure that he's probably aware of it but here's the thing i i understand what you're talking about manufacturing because really as they say you give the hardware away i mean literally there's not a lot of margin in, 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 you know, in like they say automobiles, but what the aftermarket and as you, anybody knows, keeping a car running and so forth, that, that is where the real growth could be. The and little so, pieces. The little pieces. Yes, so the his, little yeah. pieces that go on here and on here and on here and then not the whole car. Whether, and, and the, the other part of his, you know, what his statement was is that we, there will be more money put into, um, broadband throughout the state. And, 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 you know, I didn't know this because I've lived here in in Little Rock for so long, but mm-hmm. there's areas in the state that do not have access. Mm-hmm. So he's exactly right because so many of these companies that will come, these international companies, will, they are locating outside this uh, urban area. Because that's where they can build. That's where they right. can build and, and, and the labor force and, mm-hmm. and the price of labor. So very good point, sir. Thank you for that call. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, that's key too. I mean, you can't expect... 
a person that's looking to open up a factory here um, to get out of their vehicle and not be able to use their cell phone in a place where they want to build because they're going to need, they're going to be needing to be there too. And their people are going to be needing to build there. And if you don't have that sort of a, a broadband infrastructure set up, then what are they supposed to do? They'll have to create that broadband infrastructure on their own. And that's just more cost to them. So, so do you go, you know, do you go where it, where you want to say we have access or do you want to build it? Right. And, and so, Who wants to build it? Yeah, that's exactly When right. it's already somewhere else and another state has it ready for you. And another thing is, as like, like he was saying about the little pieces of the cars, Husqvarna, we were, which we were talking about uh, before the break, because I, like I said, I am a alumni from Leadership Arkansas program with the state chamber. And we went to Nashville and Hope and around that area and Husqvarna is there. And what they did, what the city did with Nashville is that they worked with Husqvarna to bring in the little, you know, say the little rings or the little, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Just any little piece. Yeah, washers or any little piece Mm -hmm. to manufacture that to to bring those plants in. So that it would be cheaper for Husqvarna as well. So that what they did was they worked with the manufacturer, the city worked with the manufacturer to bring in suppliers that would benefit Husqvarna. That that makes sense. Um, We have to take a quick break, Jim, and when we come back, we're going to talk more. Break, Russ. What I want to. And we're back on the Dave Oswick Show. Sorry about that. We were chatting away, (laughs) Jim Sorvillo and I. Yes, ma'am. We were talking about uh, the. The governor's speech on Monday, and he's talking about tax reform. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit to folks? Because, well, basically, what he had had um, suggested and would hope to do in the session 2019, sure, that we would see a tax reduction again. As you know, in 15, we had a tax reduction, a hundred million dollar tax reduction, and then also in 17, we had a 50 million dollar tax reduction on low income. One of the things that have been missed, and, I, and you know, and it's not the one percent, um, right. but it's the income level at six point nine percent would be seventy five thousand and above, and and the significant thing about that because what as you were saying, we were trying, as a caller said earlier, trying to attract those international business and, yeah. and business people that make a lot of money, uh-huh. um, but but be in that group there is what we call small business. And it's they could be a chapter S or whether what we call pass through income. Mm-hmm. So if someone's making seventy five thousand dollars, you know, first of all, we know they're not getting rich. But here's the thing: that doesn't mean that they're taking all that money home because in many cases, what they're doing is taking a portion of that and reinvesting in their business. So as we have talked about economic development, we we want that small business person. To continue to be able to continue and biz, uh, hit, uh, grow his business, expand because that what does that mean? More jobs. Back to your theory: the more people that are working and making better income, our tax revenue goes up, and then we can meet these services that we we need to meet for our people. And I think the question now, one of the questions as you've seen in this budget, is. Go ahead. We just got a minute. We have to take a break. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the Medicaid expansion and Medicaid portion of this this budget that we're facing right now and what what i will share with you is the fact that i think there's going to be some conversation i think the house is good on the budget and i think the main focus on this budget will be um the medicaid portion right and so that's still a battle it is a battle and i'll give you some details or my views on that when we come back yeah yeah but there's going to be probably 
Uh, the real challenge will be up in the Senate. And uh, so we'll have to see. Of course, you know, as a House member, we always we do the things that need to get done. Right. And, and they leave for uh, early uh, uh, <laughs> vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Jim Cervillo. And we're back on the Dave Ellsmick show. I have Jim Cervillo in with me. He is my representative, my state representative. Um, Jim, I know that the battle right is going to be. We talked about that Medicaid. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about that on the show for a long time. So how do you think that's going to fare? I mean, I don't think anybody has the right answer. <laughs> well, I think it I think it will pass. I think there will be some discussion. It might not pass in the Senate on its first vote. I've been told, it, you know, but we think that just like so many things after a little debate, a little deal-making, it, it will pass. So I think that you will see that. And as you know, the waiver that we're looking at is one that there'll be a work uh, waiver and right. then, then also the reduction from 138% of poverty to 100%. And then you've got some things like you've got 6,000 prisoners involved in so that are covered under that program and all this and that. Uh, I think that what I would say to you, and this would be the question, so now you're on trial. Um, but if someone's not working now, and the requirement is you've got to work or you're not going to get your insurance. I think with the low unemployment and so forth that I don't know that's going to be a motivation. So let's we'll we'll set them aside. So if you if you, you have to work in order to get your unemployment. I, I believe if I'm correct, and I know this is crazy and anybody's listening out there, you know, I, I face this every day, so but I think we spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on on software technology that will monitor wow. that people will be applying for work and i think it's going to be sure. very similar to well that. yeah because now you just call in and say yeah i applied yeah. these are the two jobs yeah one but yeah. you push one yeah yeah so i think it <laughs> you know i think it's good but there's a cost to it but i think it's good but but with low in, unemployment i don't know there, there'll be some people and i think that will take a you know take advantage get get a job or go through that pro uh, that, that that program um, then the other group that you have is the people that will be from the 138% down to only 100%. So you're going to have those people that will move off the what used to be called the private o- option, now right. Arkansas Works. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my question is, and of course is that, and we think, and the governor said that, that uh, a CMS will approve those waivers, okay, and it might even happen before the session. So mm-hmm. question here is what do you do with the 60000 People that are projected to be moved off of this, and what that basically would mean is that they wouldn't have the government insurance anymore. Some people might say, "Hey, that's good. You know, we shouldn't have done it in the first place." But you got to live with what you've got. So, foul. So, what are they going to do now? These are the people that are getting insurance paid for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For them, and now they're taking off because they don't meet the, whatever that criteria was, it'd right. be income or whatever, and. That insurance, and we don't, do we know how many of them are taking advantage of the insurance that they have? Well, we've got. I mean, I don't mean that have it. I mean that are using it. Because I know a lot of people, we're paying a policy for a lot of people who aren't even using the the insurance. Mm -hmm. We're paying their dental. Would they give them cards? They give them debit cards to pay for their co-pays? Well, and And some of them aren't even using this stuff or utilizing it. It's, you know, it's all based on so that you're, you're right there. But I guess the, the real question is if you take that away from that segment of people, 
Open were, hospital. Huh? Open hospital. What? Oh, open. Well, well, our thought is that they're going to go to the emergency room. They still go to the emergency room because they don't have a twenty-five dollars to pay, pay their doctor. Well, I, I understand, but you're going to have more of them. Yeah. And here's the real challenge, I think, as we we just came out of a deal with UAMS, where um, they have a shortfall. A shortfall. They need another seventy-two million dollars. But I thought that this private or this private option was supposed to take care of that shortfall. Yes. Well, it obviously <laughs> it hasn't, and um, and so I think and I I spoke to a doctor today, and there could be some remedies, even though it's a teaching um, a teaching college, a teaching school. I think there's some things there that we could do because you know people do that have insurance that go to the med. So I think maybe more of a push in that direction to have those physicians being treating uh, people, getting some Medicaid. Uh, reimbursement and so forth would could be a good thing. So I, th- you know, I think in all of this, we need to sit down and, and really look at reform. I mean, the way we've done it, obviously with the debt at the national level, uh, you know, fortunately we have a balanced budget in mm-hmm. Arkansas. So I think that we need to sit down and take a good look at, you know, uh, how we've performed and and the things that could, you know, especially with technology that could help us. But my my question is is that when you go to rural hospitals out there that are not getting any funded, you know, and they're they're taking these people in, right. that becomes a real real challenge. And we we want to provide health care. I think I think telehealth is a something that could save a, a lot of dollars for these unnecessary trips to the ER for say a cold or a sinus infection mm-hmm. or things of that nature. Those are. Those are things that you can treat by just looking at someone. Well, and as the speaker, the gentleman that called in earlier, saying you got to have <laughs> um, broadband to that, but but That's we do. True. That's we're, true. We're doing some, uh, and and there's certain things that you can do telemedicine. We think nurse practitioners mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. are a good thing. Um, so the real challenge is, um, unless you've come from a small town and so forth, getting someone to really want to move there and do that, just like I mean. We have really a scarcity of teachers, and you know some of the provisions is if that you you get an incentive and you go teach somewhere for the next two or five years or whatever, then you can come back. But I mean, I think you've got to have m- much long-lasting type of solutions than kind of you know right. having a uh, incentive like that. Just like with the Little Rock Police Department, we're going to pay um, these cadets five thousand dollars. Uh, as an incentive, and you know, I ran a bill and got got um, did not get through, but it was to um, not make it mandatory that a, a police officer, fire uh, firefighter, had to live in that in the in the, in the county dis- in, in the, the county. city yeah. in the city that they lived in. And uh, I just felt like it's a free country. And if you look at Little Rock, we were seventy officers short. And if you took all the folks that live outside, you know, Little Rock and so forth, you'd be be a a large number and so i think there's a lot of practical things that we need to do there yeah i i yeah yeah of course there is in anything there's practical things that we need to do but the problem is is they don't get to it well yeah (laughs) there's yeah that's politics yeah that's politics Mm -hmm. we just get through politics there you go there you go and you know and announcers that always have these questions right (laughs) right right so what are the things have you been working on jim one They're my, near and dear to your heart. Yeah, one of the real, real key things in um, that I am uh, special needs families out there, and we have what they call it's a, a disability waiver. And as you know, if you've read anything or heard, there's been like three thousand 
um, families that are on that. And what that basically does, these needy, really needy um, uh, families with children or even adult children in where they have these medical things mm-hmm. that are not, you're not going to cure with, you know, med- medicine, but right. you're going to have to maintain physical um, treatment or For life. whatever. Yeah. And so um, that's been a real passion and I really gained that uh, as I campaigned and just went door to door and, and just saw how significant it is. And, you know, and this is one of these things that they, you know, families have to deal with every day. And, and as we talk about the mental illness issue, I mean, families have to deal with that every day. Um, but so that's become a, a real passion of mine. And we uh, back in the last session, we have um, we passed uh, a bill that took the uh, tobacco settlement funds that were left that mm-hmm. were left was like eight million dollars and dedicated him to reduce that waiver. And that was, we got a waiver for 500 families from CMS. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, there's 3,000 on there. So, I mean, that's good for the first 5,000. I mean, the first 500. My, my goal is to try to see if we can create more money. But this is how the system works. Um, they will look at each family and they assess the need. And it could be from fifty thousand dollars a year for that that medical support. Right. Okay. It could go up into severe cases of a one hundred thirty-five thousand. So you've got that variance based on what is needed. So the fact is, we've got to sit down and look at those first five hundred, and and get a number on what it's going to take because the federal government is going to be will uh, support seventy percent. So that eight million dollars that we've set aside will end up being about $27, $28 million. So those first 500 how much of that money they're going to use, well, then we, we'll have to go back to CMS and say, we've got these available dollars and we would like to um, bring more people off of that. And, and that, so that's one of the big things, and I would hope that we even could have some additional money. My, my goal is to get those families off um, that list. The, all 3,000. Right. And, and here's the thing. Um, normally, some people have been on it. Uh, yesterday I met with a family that's been on it for eight years. What? And, and, yeah, and how it's, it's done chronologically. And so it's not on a need basis. Some people un- misunderstand that. But so if you signed up, and, and so if you're in the front of the list, you're going to be able to, you know, get those services. The, the thing is on a normal annual basis, you might see 100, 125 uh, people that are moved off, and that's mm-hmm. probably because of death. I hate to say that, but most most times. So, if you're sitting like a friend of mine that has an autistic child, sitting at number 2100 20, at a hundred to hundred twenty five. I mean, her son's autistic mm-hmm. has 50, is fifteen years old and has some real severe um, uh, management anger man, management. Yeah. So that goes along with it. Well, and I think the thing about that is that there could be, you know, there at some in these type of situations, there could be some, I mean, some really uh, issues with uh, injury or, you know, aggressiveness and right. so forth. And, and so um, maybe changing that where we could look at the severity of the illness would be, but if you're, like I said, at 100, 125, if you're way down on that list, you, you know, you're probably not ever going to see any help. And so, That's sad. Yeah. Well, but, you know, it's like anything else. We There's only so much to go around. But what I'd like, like to see is to continue to, to work on, on that because this is the thing. These families deal 
with this heartbreak every day. And, and the fact is, it, it is hard, and there is not any relief. And, and you know, we want to take care of widows and orphans and, and you know. People with, that can't take care of themselves. That can't take care of themselves. Right. And so, so uh, hopefully we can have a, even more, more of a conversation there. The other thing uh, I've been working on is con- uh, uh, cameras in concealed classrooms. We almost got a bill passed and just ran out of time, but I think moved it over to um, interim study. And the reason why is that um, children that are nonverbal can't tell you if they've had a bad day at school. If someone has verbally abused them and, or physically, and I have a situation work on right now, there was a physical abuse in this classroom. Um, and so we're working on that. We think there, the privacy issue can be overcome. Texas has run a uh, um, legislation on it. It's working down there. But the thing is, is when you send your child to school and they have that type of disability where they cannot communicate, you know, with then you. they can't tell you. Uh-huh, that this kind of, I think, assures. And I, the, the, the fascinating thing, I've had so many special need teachers that said to me, this is the interesting thing because you think that in some cases maybe the Department of Education might push away from it. They say, you know what, that's good because it protects me. And this is not random. Everybody gets to see it, what I'm saying. But if mm-hmm. they it has to be, you know, just cause. But they would say if someone today accused them and, and you could review it and, and say this didn't happen, I mean, that protects them. Plus the fact one of the teachers told me, you know what, I'd love to review it because, you know, it gives me a chance to evaluate my class. Right. And do better. And then, then you have a situation with new teachers coming in that have not been in that setting. This is, they could, you know, they could use that as training. So that's enough, that's a big thing for me there. And, and the final thing that I will tell you, I know we're going to be out of time. Well, we got to take a quick break and then you can, we can finish it up when we come back. Okay. You got time? Got it. Okay. We'll be right back. We're back on the Dave Ellswick show. I've got uh, Jim Servillo in the studio with me. And Jim, we got about, what, four minutes left? Okay. Um, Give or take four or five. Okay. You gonna give me an extra one today, Russ? Woo! <laughs> well, so uh, we were talking um, before we left about the disability waivers. Is there um, anything else that you want to let folks know and that they should be looking out for? Yeah, just changing the subject. Sure. My, uh, as I say, pet bill. Yeah. Uh, it's on a Your pet project. A pet project. Well, I say pet bill because it's uh, I've run uh, legislation not been successful to shut puppy mills down in Arkansas. I remember all that. You do. And mm-hmm. and here's the Barbara the, Gordon. Yes. Mm-hmm. But but here's the thing that's really important to me. I think it's important um because they um they're a black eye to Arkansas. We rank up in the fifth uh in the nation with as many puppy mills. I think whether people really are puppy animal lovers, they want animals to be healthy and safe and yes. cared for and loved. And, yeah. and you've got a lemon law here, so if you go out and buy a puppy you know, from a puppy mill and you pay, uh, say, $250 and you and find out you know, you, the dog has an illness, you take it to the vet, you have a $1,000 bill, the lemon law says if you can find those people. Right, you, they have to pay for the yeah, bill. They only have to pay up to the price of the animal. So that means, oh, you know, wow. yeah, so those things, but here's, you know, the, the fact is, is that I looked at the consumer protection because you buy and I've had one of my colleagues bought an animal that was ill, didn't know that at the time from a puppy mill. And so, um, there's risk. The interesting thing, there's a thing called PALS. I think it's mm-hmm. a, it, it's a, vi- um, uh, infection. Are you familiar with it? 
No, I've heard of it, but I'm not really familiar. It's with a it. it's a really a sad issue. It's a, it's an infection that can lead to uh, literally death to children, committing suicide, and all that. It's a uh, immune uh, type of um, uh, a disease that goes along. But one of them can be stemmed from not only strep but from parvo. And one of the oh. things, yeah. And one of the things here's one of the things the health so department. So parvo can spread into a childhood illness. Yeah, there's there's bacteria now that's been proven. And in, in, in my conversation with health department, many of them have said there's really besides ringworm, there's really not any issue there. But but I my research shows um, that there has there is there's a bacteria now that can in young children be trans, transmitted and cause death. Wow. And so. As a percent, uh, consumer protection is that you want to have healthy animals being, you know. Yeah, nobody wants an unhealthy animal or bring an unhealthy animal as a present home and then your kid gets sick or whatever. From could it. get sick. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Is, well, maybe it's just a small, you know, percentage of people. But I always ask the question, what if it's your child yeah. or my child? So I, we're hoping to move there. Of course, we've been, the Farm Bureau has lobbied hard. and. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I went to back in 15 to um, livestock and poultry, and I said I was looking, where, where do I want to place this if we can get it done? And uh, I asked them, I said, you know, how about if we put it under your authority? That, And they said, well, we don't do d- domestic animals. And I said, there's the answer right there. You know, our, our puppies, our kittens, our pet, we call them pet. They're domestic animals. That's mm-hmm. just how society yeah, chose. Right. And so this. Actually, to our dog, we're, we're her humans. That's exactly <laughs> Uh, and that's true. And the thing, human, is, get me my food. There's exactly <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes I wish I was treated like my animals, but I know, but, right? But you know, I think the thing is, is that you know their fear is well, it's going to go into you know the next step, you know, our livestock and all, and that's not the that's not the issue at all. I mean, we know that we're agricultural. We know that you know we raise cattle and we raise right. animals and horses and we race horses and all that kind of stuff. These are pets, yeah. and and the point is, is there's just people love them, right? Well, and you know, we, and they love their people. On Facebook, um, the other day, about a week and a half ago, there was a picture of this man and a dog, and the dog's literally was malnutrition. His ribs were showing; he wouldn't surrender the animal. And of course, people were able to take a photo of it, and based on this publicity, they turned around and he let. He, he, you know, but we have an animal cruelty law is Act Thirty Three, just like so many other. So he has he has misdemeanor, but they're going to be investigating it to the point where it could end up being a felony. And so what we're saying to you, you know, why why not turn that animal over to a rescue before you starve it to death? Right. Okay. I think that's a good note to end on today. Yes. Turn the animals over if you can't take care of them. Be responsible. That's not being irresponsible. That's being responsible. If you can't take care of an animal. Give it to someone who can. Don't let it run loose. Don't malnourish it. Don't feed. Don't not feed it. Give it away. I support that. All right. Okay. Thank you for coming in, Jim. Oh, it's and good to see you. Thank you guys for having me today. Uh, filling in for Dave. I think who's coming in tomorrow? For Dave. Alan Kerr. Alan Kerr. That's right. You'll have Alan Kerr with you tomorrow, uh, and then Dave will be back Monday. Uh, have a great night. Happy birthday, Dave. Yeah. Happy oh, birthday, no. Dave. Dave White. Okay. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. 
For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. 